We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to the MPW Digital Preview Show, presented by Walk On Sports Bistro. I'm Neil McCready. It's time for the Egg Bowl, number eight, Ole Miss. Heads to Startville on Thursday for a Thanksgiving night showdown with Mississippi State. Kickoff set for 6.30 p.m. The game will be televised on ESPN. The Rebels are now 9-2 overall, 5-2 in the SEC. After a 31-17 win over Vanderbilt Saturday in Oxford, Mississippi State, meanwhile, 7-4 overall. 4-3 Four and three in the league following a 55 to 10 win over Tennessee State this past Saturday in Starkville. Ole Miss up to number nine in the latest college football playoff rankings. So Thursday's game obviously has New Year's Six bowl implications for the Rebels, though they could still very well qualify for one of those games, even with a loss to Mississippi State on Thursday. Today on the show, we'll break down X's and O's with MPW Digital's resident football expert Pete Deweese. He takes a look at Mississippi State air raid offense, looking at some film from a game last season when Mississippi State played Georgia. We'll uh, talk about the week in the SEC with the next round's Ryan Brown. Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 ESPN in Memphis will join to discuss the national college football picture. And finally, Barstool Sports' Ben Mintz will talk about the weekend ahead in the college game and the NFL from a betting perspective. But first, a word about walk-ons. Walk-On Sports Bistro puts everything they've got into bringing you game day with a taste of Louisiana. Dig into their mouth-watering Louisiana cuisine like po'boys, gumbo, voodoo shrimp, plus fan favorites like juicy burgers, fresh salads, quality fresh ingredients you can't help but crave. Coming early next month, Walk-On Sports Bistro will open in Oxford at 1737B University Avenue. If you're in the Jackson area, you owe it to yourself to check out the new Walk-On Sports Bistro, 720 Highland Colony Parkway in Ridgeland. Walk-On's Sports Bistro, more than a restaurant. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote. The rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. 662-257-1900. 
all of our guests join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline, Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford. Great place to stop, have a burger, a po' boy, uh, appetizers, great beer selection, full bar and more Rafters on the on the Square uh, in Oxford and uh, Rafters uh, in New Albany as well. A um, couple things I want to touch on before um, we get to our guest. Uh, a little bit today, you're going to hear different talk about coaching searches. I will tell you that as we do, um, as we tape this, taped this show over the last 24 hours or so. I'm this is live streaming here Tuesday night. The game's on Thursday night. Obviously, things change a little bit. So you hear some conversations that may even be a little outdated because that's how coaching searches work. I can tell you that as of tonight, strong consensus around the league, people, um, national sources people close to LSU, people in Baton Rouge, all starting to say the same thing. LSU wraps up its regular season on Saturday night against Texas A&M. Ironically, Texas A&M coach Jimbo Fisher is going to get one last call for the LSU job, and everyone expects him to turn it down. He and LSU Athletics Director Scott Woodward are very close. Uh, There's no question that Scott Woodward would love to hire Jimbo Fisher at LSU, but Jimbo Fisher is going to stay at Texas A&M, according to just about everyone, literally everyone. Along those lines, the, everyone expects the next move for LSU, no matter what you read from other news outlets, to be Lincoln Riley, the uh, Oklahoma coach. Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State on Saturday night in Stillwater. If Oklahoma loses, its regular season is over. And a lot of people think that LSU could move as early as Sunday on um, on Lincoln Riley. Contract terms already starting to float out. It is a major offer uh, somewhere in the $100 million range for eight years. Do the math. That's about $12.5 million a year. A lot of people have been talking about this being a a reset of sorts in the coaching industry. A lot of coaches waiting to see what happens at LSU. It's believed that LSU has turned the majority of its focus to Oklahoma coach Lincoln Riley. Um The other job that people are keeping an eye on today is Florida. Dan Mullen out at Florida after the loss at Missouri last weekend. Florida wraps up its regular season against Florida State in Gainesville on Saturday. Uh, A win would make the Gators Bowl eligible. Doesn't really matter. That's not the thing to watch. The key to watch there, according to everybody that I've talked to today, and I've talked to a lot of people, is Billy Napier, the University of Louisiana Lafayette coach who's kind of bided his time at uh, ULL, waiting for an opportunity. It looks like Florida is that opportunity. It looks like the Gators are focused on him. The one thing to keep in mind there is that ULL is in the Sun Belt Championship a week away. He's going to want to coach that game. So um, that gives gives a week's opening for things to get crazy. A lot of people, including Bruce Feldman, Andy Staples, and others have written um, in the last... 24, 48 hours or so about how this could turn into quite the carousel. So something to watch, something we'll be covering uh, throughout the next week and a half or so at rebelgrove.com and also at MPW Digital. Also, a, uh, a note in my field today. Um, I spent, I guess, about 11 years in the state of Alabama, something like that, uh, as a Auburn beat writer, uh, as a radio talk show host, as an SEC writer, Essentially covered Alabama as a beat writer for basically a year. Um, ran into Cecil Hurt, the uh, sports editor of the Tuscaloosa News, many times, many times. 
whether it was in Tuscaloosa or in Auburn or um, in Mobile at the Senior Bowl or just kind of around the league, certainly here in Oxford or in Tuscaloosa as the last 13 years or so I've been covering Ole Miss. Uh, Cecil Hurt passed away today at the age of uh, 63, I believe. He uh, died from non-COVID-related pneumonia symptoms and some other health issues that he'd had. Um, on a personal note, I can tell you it won't be the same going to Tuscaloosa and being in that press box or being at Coleman Coliseum or seeing Alabama in Oxford and not running into Cecil Hurt. Covered the Alabama uh, beat for the better part of four decades. Really remarkable. Um, a remarkable talent. He was a guy that when I was covering um, – when I was covering the SEC, when I was covering Alabama, when I was covering Auburn, but wanted to really know what was going on at at, uh, at Alabama, the first place I went was the Tuscaloosa News. You knew if Cecil Hurt said something, sometimes you had to read between the lines, but you knew if Cecil Hurt said something, it was right. He was always incredibly sourced in Tuscaloosa. He was also a kind person. Uh, Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, uh, tweeted today, I'm saddened to learn of Cecil Hurt's passing. Cecil was a leading voice in telling the story of the SEC for four decades. The relationships he built, his credibility with readers, his clarity in communication, and his unrivaled wit made him a pillar of his profession. Rest in peace, Cecil. That's well put by the commissioner, uh, better than I could have said it. But rest in peace to Cecil Hurt. Uh, A couple of things to tell you about before we get to Pete. Oxford's newest restaurant on the square, Opa, is serving up Oxford's best Greek-American dishes, Cold drinks and craft cocktails. They're open for lunch at 11 a.m., dinner daily. Also open on Sundays. Please uh, note that OPA will be closed all day for Thanksgiving, but it'll be open on Friday if you're coming to town to do some shopping. It's located on South Lamar, just south of the courthouse on the historic Oxford Square. Speaking of shopping, uh, starting started today, actually, uh, our friends at Dead Soxy are running a, a buy one, get one Free offer through uh, Monday. Use the code BOGO, B-O-G-O, to redeem. you got to put both items in your cart before checkout. It applies to all items on the website, bundles, individual socks. There is a catch. It's always a catch, but this is a good catch. One BOGO per transaction. So if you put six bundles in your cart, you're only going to get one bundle BOGO. Instead, just make an unlimited number of transactions, one at a time. Use the promo code BOGO to redeem and you can load up your sock wardrobe for the year with this incredible offer from Dead Soxy. Again, deadsoxy.com, promo code BOGO. And with Christmas now just a month away, it's officially time to start planning for holiday gifting and our friends at Blue Delta have the perfect gift for the season. Blue Delta has introduced their video gift cards, a gift card with a built-in video screen. It's simple and it's easy. Just head to bluedeltajeans.com Purchase a gift card, and Blue Delta will help you record a personalized message and upload the video card for you. Supply chain issues are going to be a problem this Christmas, but these video gift cards are a surefire way to make the gifts get delivered. The gifts, uh, the guys, I should say, at Blue Delta sent me one of these. It's a great concept. It's a great presentation. It's the perfect gift for a single person or a group of employees. It's bluedeltajeans.com. Go there to purchase or you can shoot the guys a direct message on social media, and they'll get it you taken care of. All right, I talked to Pete Deweese last night, our uh, football expert. Talked about uh, the air raid, about what Ole Miss can expect to see from uh, the Mississippi State offense from Mike Leach and company. So I think you'll enjoy this. Here is uh, Pete Deweese. 
Pete Deweese, our resident football expert, joins us for the 12th time for 12 games. We've made it to game number 12. It's rivalry week. You might notice a different background uh, for, for Pete right now. Uh, I don't think Pete chose that photo, but it's I mean, the, the, the artist, but it's the art is very pretty, though. Uh, we're, Pete's at his mom's house. It's Thanksgiving week. Happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Appreciate you being here with us. Yeah, same to you. I'm uh, I'm on the road this week, just like the Rebs. So about an hour south of Startful in Philadelphia and just uh, trying to make the most out of my week, just like they are. <laughs> All right, we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to share my screen here in a second. Let's see. Um, my mouse hates me, but there we go. Uh, before we get into it, so I, the one thing I was going to ask you, you're a coach, you're a former player, all that stuff. When people tell you, hey, rivalry games, man, throw out the record books, throw it out, throw it all out, it doesn't matter. How true is that? How not true is that? A lot of it depends just on your locker room and your roster, Right. Um, you know, it's, it, it's a real thing to some degree. Um, I, I, I do believe that, um, because, you know, if, if, if you're a team that's overconfident in, in your ability and, and the underdog comes in, these are the games as much as any or more than any where the underdog, they truly believe. And a lot of times in those situations, one thing goes bad and the underdog, they, they quit biting, right? In this type of game, the underdog, they don't stop biting. They, they, they stay, you know, until you truly step on their throat. And so um, I, I think that matters. Um, you know, the other thing we talked last week, we talked a little bit about transitive property, right? And, and how in football it doesn't always translate and carry over. Um, it, it's still a matchup thing, right? So I, I think when you add in the, the emotion of a rivalry game and then you add to that, um, the, the, the matchup factor, right. Things can just, things can always go haywire. All right. It's a big game Thursday night, six 30, the egg bowl, all that stuff. States red hot Ole Miss nine and two playing for a new year, six game. It, this is, this is a, a, a big time egg bowl as it will. So the floor is yours. Thanks. I, I, um, you know, I, I, I was reading, I haven't had a chance to read much, but I, I saw your notes on the board about Kiffin's press conference today, and there were some things he said that that were spot on and, and right in line with, you know, kind of the things that I was thinking. I mean, defensively, you know, he talked about how they are long and athletic on defense, um, and that's who they are. Their corners are tall, long-bodied players. Um, they they play that, that odd stack defense that, um, you know, when you when people think of the three to six, they think of it as some big umbrella over the top that's maybe void underneath. And that's not necessarily the truth. Um, but when you think of an odd stack, that three, 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 five, however you want to identify it, it's that second level of the defense that can become very congested. And so, you know, state's pretty multiple. They'll they'll do a lot of different things. Um with, with their coverage and with their front and kind of how they attack some things. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see so much of the intermediate stuff that Ole Miss has done because the deep ball has not been great in a while, right? So the question is how much of the intermediate stuff do they find success with? Some of that will be down to how much man-to-man are they getting, I think, versus how much zone, you know. Um, state, 
typically does a good job against the run. Um, and, and you have to, um, you have to kind of get, get the coordinator, their defense coordinator as a play caller out of his comfort zone by, I think, attacking him with some passing plays on first down, getting him into some run situations, throwing the ball, getting into some throwing situations, running the ball. Um, you know, he typically is a guy that, that is going to be aggressive. Um, I think, you know, for whatever reason, he has moments in games where he isn't as aggressive and at times it bites them. Um, you know, I, I think early in the Auburn game, um, they're being a little bit more passive, right? And, and all of a sudden Auburn builds the lead. And then before you know it, State just decides, you know what, we're long and athletic on the perimeter, make them win throwing the football, make them push the ball to the edge, pack the box, take away the bootleg game, take away the downhill game, and it paid off for them, right? All, all of a sudden, um, you know, Auburn's having having trouble moving the ball. And so um, I, I'll be curious to see, particularly with Matt ankle bothering him, not being as, you know, running around as much um, as as he normally does. I'm curious to see just how they attack Ole Miss offensively. You know, I thought Matt moved better Saturday night, and 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 it made me wonder if perhaps, hey, come Thursday night, they're going to let it all hang out because he's got plenty I, of time. I don't know. I, I don't – I agree with you. I, I don't know – I don't think they're going to be as aggressive as they were at Tennessee, right? Um, the, the flip side of that, though, is this is not going to be the Liberty game plan. It's it's not going to be – I mean, I definitely think you're going to see them be more aggressive in all facets of the way they call the game, including using Matt um, as, as a runner, you know. Um, we, we, we've, we've become accustomed to seeing Ole Miss be successful offensively. Um, there is a challenge in front of them. Mississippi State, I'm not going to tell you they're the best defense in the SEC, but they do a good job. They can cause you problems, especially when they force you to throw it on the perimeter because they are athletic at the corner position and they are long and, and, you know, Ole Miss still coming back into being full speed is really going to have to be good there. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it's what Ole Miss does when they're on the defense. And, and that's it's been the story for in a lot of ways all season long. And we've seen them play phenomenal defense for most of the night against A&M. And then we watch the Vanderbilt game, and it looks a little bit different. And so, you know, what Mike Leach does offensively is, is such a different beast. Um, and, and, and the thing is, the air raid is not some secret club where what they do, nobody else knows and understands or ever uses, right? It's not, you know, Paul Johnson, when he was at Georgia Tech, nobody else was lining up in double slot and running the veer or midline. It just, nobody else in college football is doing that unless outside of Navy and the service academies. Um, every team in the country uses air raid concepts in their offense. The difference is they, they, it's mixed in with all these other things. Mike Leach has, you know, he, he has this, it, it's a massive playbook, but, but it operates and you're able to teach it. You know, he's essentially teaching eight to 10 concepts and then he's, he's building around those concepts and making them better. And, you know, one of the things, and we're going to look at some film here in a minute, and I'm going to show you kind of some of the concepts and how things, how things work. You know, I, I think the big thing is I, I, um, talking to Mississippi State grad early in the season, 
Um, and it was after the Memphis loss. And he was like, are we that bad? And I, I said, no. You know, I said, I, I don't think so. Um, and then I told him, I said, the truth is, I think the day Mike Leach figures out this team needs to run the football, they're going to be pretty good. Well, if you look at how the season's going on, he has started to run the ball more and more because the, the, the players they have in their offensive front, that's what those guys were recruited to do. You know, I saw them I saw them in Fayetteville and they they when they got in trouble and they were in trouble in that game. I think it was 13 to nothing and it felt like Arkansas was a punch or two away from knocking them out yep. and they got back into the game. I'm sure you you've watched the film. I'm sure they they got back in the game by running and 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 ultimately in the in the in the second half had Arkansas really off balance, had Barry Odom kind of confused because they were running more than they normally do. When he is willing to run the football, because they have good physical backs, right? And, and they're not bad up front in the run game by any means. Now, part of that is what, when you do what he does offensively, you force teams to spread out. You force teams to protect against all the different stuff you do in the passing game. And it gives you an, an advantageous box to run the football. It gives you a soft edge to run the football. And so, you know, I, I remember saying that early in the season is the day Mike decides to run the football, they're going to be really good offensively. And as the season's gone on, that's, that's what you, you see more of. They run a little bit of toss. It doesn't look like old school I formation, Herschel Walker toss, but they run toss. It's not like Auburn runs it. Right. But it's the, it's they'll zone the whole offensive line away and toss it to the back. They'll zone the offensive line to it. And, 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 you know, it's all about just taking numbers, and he's done a really good job there, you know. Um, I, I at quarterback, I don't, I don't think the, I don't think the, some of the measurables, the the arm talent, and some of the the zip on the ball, and some of that stuff. He's not a guy that you look at and go, man, that he's a first round talent. But you watch his command of the offense, and he's been playing in a version of the air raid since high school. You watch his command of the offense, his understanding of the offense. Um, you know, he really does a good job, and he often does a good job of, of limiting his mistakes. And, and the key, you know, Mississippi State's one of the best time of possession teams in the SEC, um, and, and it's because they're willing to throw the short underneath. They're not always sprinting to the line of scrimmage to get things called. And, and old-school offenses were these three yards in a cloud of dust where they're going to get downhill and run ISO or power and, three yards and they're going to get up and do it again. And if you average three and a half a play, you're getting the first down. Well, they're willing to do it. They're just doing it without running down your throat. They're, they're doing it by pushing the ball all around the field. And, and he's done a phenomenal job and has been so accurate in his decision-making. So I'm very curious to see how Ole Miss defends him. Um, you know, you go back to the LSU game last year when all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, you know, they raise the ride, look what it did to the SEC. And LSU comes out and they play man-to-man -man cover one. And, and one of the kind of beauties and the simplicity of the system is that it – and the beauty of the system is that it gives you answers to everything if you can execute at a high level. And because you do so few things, you get so many reps, right? It, it, it is – it is very easy, and we've taught, we've used basketball players as an analogy, right? It's very easy to put a kid on the free throw line and tell them to shoot 100 free throws. They're doing the same thing with a fade, right? They're doing the same thing. 
and it's because they 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 do so few things and they package so few things and they they attack the windows in different ways that they just build trust and confidence and how and their ability to execute and year two in the system quarterback year two in the system skill guys around him that have the ability to make some plays and the scary thing if you're an Ole Miss fan is not what Thursday could look like it's what the future could look like because the reality is they're playmakers they're all young they're the production they're getting from their sophomore and down it's it's scary if you're the SEC West on the defensive side of the ball and you're projected Got five guys with 45 catches or more. You have a quarterback in Rodgers who's thrown the ball 572 times. Two numbers just stand out. 76% percentage rate. Incredible. And 34 touchdowns to eight picks. 34 to eight. I mean, you know, that's getting it done now. It, it 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 is getting it done, and 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 again, they they do a great job with with design, and you know one of the things that that when you when you study Leach, and I was actually talking to a guy earlier this week that's a he's a big Leach guy, and he's gone to every clinic, and he's met with his. He was in Startful a couple of times this season at games. He's close with one of the guys on staff, and you know the the answer because I just asked him and said I want to know how much freedom does Rodgers have? Because one of the things with Leach is he's known to almost give quarterbacks suggestions. Hey, here's what I think is going to be good. If you don't like it, change it. Right. Um, and they have more freedom. You know, uh, a lot of time you'll see Corral get to the line. They're in the formation. He's looking at the sideline and they're telling him, keep it or dump it. Right. We called two plays, you know, Hey, we like it, keep it, run it. it it's not, you know, Rodgers looks at the sideline gets a suggestion and he looks out and sees something different, he can completely change it. Um, and, and I don't know where he is in the amount of freedom that he gets, but as Leach gets really comfortable, but when a kid's completing things at 76% a clip, surely his understanding of the offense is high enough that he's got a good bit of freedom there. I watched it in person in Fayetteville, which is a gift when you're watching on tele compared to television. I, I think he has a ton of freedom. Because they would come over after series, and you would see them converse, and 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 Mike was pleased with him. I I think I, I yeah I, I agree. I, I think it's hard to tell how much, but I definitely think he has a lot. Um, so I'm going to show you some film. I'm actually showing you film from last year. Um, it, it's funny. I found two people that have almost every state game from this year, and they basically were sworn to the Mississippi State staff not to give it out until after the season. But so I, I went looking, I watched some games on YouTube, but I had three or four games from last year. I pulled one of them up and, and I pulled the Georgia game one because it wasn't Costello. It, it was actually Rogers. Um, but Georgia's doing some things similar to what I think Ole Miss could potentially do schematically. Um, but this is, so you're going back again, 2020, there's some freshmen on the field. You're a freshman quarterback. Um, you're not in the most crowded stadium that Georgia's been, and it's not the same Georgia defense you're facing this year, but it's a lot of the same players, right? And so I, I thought we would kind of just look at how quickly he gets through some of his progressions, but also look at some of the base concepts um, that, that Mississippi State uses. So starting out here, when when you, you study the roots of the air raid system, and I, I, I coached for one year in the Tony Franklin system, and 
Tony Franklin and Mike Leach and how, you know, and, and mummy and all these guys were all together at one point and everybody kind of branched and did their own thing. And of course, Tony was at Auburn and had a little short little stint in the sec. And um, so all these guys have, have kind of deviated, but the roots of it all is, is, is the same. And they have different ways of doing things, but even with Mike and a lot of people tell you that Mike is, still probably one of the more pure true air raid guys um back to its 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 roots um but but he has evolved in the last few years but um you know we, when you look at what they do the the base of their five-step game starts with what they call the 90 series um or the 90s and so uh you know anything in their shallow menu is is built in in their 90s their mesh concept that everybody talks about that Leach and Air Raid guys run so much of is 92. Why cross they refer to as 95. And so they build in all these different tags in these different ways, but it's really all about attacking grass and creating uh, different stretches. So here's, here's kind of what that looks like. So here they start out in a three by one formation and they are going to take the receiver and they're going to motion to a two by two. Okay. One of the things that that motion does is it lets that receiver cut his split down without showing it early and giving you a ton of time to communicate. The other thing that he does is you watch this develop when he goes from here. Right now, this looks like it's going to be some version of man-to-man -man coverage. But as soon as they take this receiver and motion him off the field, nobody goes with him. So right now, as a quarterback, he knows I'm probably getting some type of a pressure with a zone coverage underneath. Okay. Because had any of these guys run with him, but no defender has de replaced that movement and now gone in a position to match him. So right now the quarterback is thinking, okay, it's zone. I don't have to use because every concept you have, this is where I attack. If it's man to man, this is my progression. If it's zone. So right now, he's giving the quarterback the key. You're about to get zone, okay? So when you're running shallow, typically, and I think this is the way that they're running it here, is he's going to build a guy on a post, and he's going to build a guy on a dig. And if you were getting some type of a, a zone coverage where you're getting two high safeties, he's going to start, and he's going to put his eyes on the safety. And if the safety's deep, then he's going to ignore that post. It's kind of canceled off the page. But if the safety is low and has a chance to drive and defend this dig route, then the quarterback is going to – he's going to peak that route, meaning he's going to look to see, can my guy win inside? And if the safety's low, I get a home run ball over the top. Okay. Here, they're not giving you that same two safety look. You're getting what looks like it's going to be some type of a cover three based on that safety. So here, that's a tight window to throw this ball down here in the goal line. So he is more likely to now work this progression. Now, one of these receivers from the opposite side is going to be running right down the line, okay? That is typically how this is going to uh, progression out. Now, normally the back goes opposite of wherever the shallow is going to end up. So here, either I've got it drawn wrong, which is a possibility, or the back is going to come across in protection, and if nothing comes, get out on the opposite way. Over here, this guy is likely on some type of an out route or maybe even just a vertical route, okay? So we've got the motion. He's identified its zone right there. 
play starts. Okay, there comes the pressure. There they go dropping out in the zone. So as this develops, what he knows this is zone now. He knows the middle of the field's protected. So my post is off the page. So right now his basic options are I can work a high low. He's working a vertical stretch now and the horizontal stretch really on these underneath players. Is he runs a dig, and you can see this guy running flat down the line. This guy has to make a decision. If I play deep here, the ball is going to be thrown underneath and we're going to rally up. And State's okay. All they need is three yards. They're content with that, right? If I stay low and I attack this, I'm opening up this vertical window behind me where he's going to throw that dig. And be the safety can't sit and squat on the dig because he's being protected by that post or he's being attacked by the post. Because th three and the safety are kind of bracketing, for lack of a better word. That, that, that's, that, that is basically, yeah. So they're, they're playing a, a, a match cover three right here. So you'll see because, because he's vertical and he's vertical, he's going to squeeze his route and almost treat him like man-to-man -man and try to funnel him inside. Because he's vertical, he's going to sink. If he had gone to the flat right now, he would take him. But because he's vertical, he's going to carry that, and he's going to expect to get help from one of his underneath defenders if anything appears in the flat. Like if the back were to swing, it's likely that he's going to take him. Okay? So here they blitz. So right now – He's looking to throw his hot. And that, that shallow route coming across field, that's his built-in hot route. If I get anything in my face, I give it to him right now, and I let him it, – it's, it's a handoff. That's all it is. It's an extended handoff. Well, Georgia does a nice job on this one because as they bail the two guys out and he feels the pressure, and he kind of throws off his back foot right here because they, they beat it. Um, and honestly, the receiver probably gets lucky right here the ball's a little bit off because Georgia's linebacker does a great job. Now, one of the things that Ole Miss has done a lot this year is they get one of their backers out and they leave one of the backers, usually Campbell, to kind of spy the quarterback, right? I don't know if the same need is there this week because you're not getting a whole lot out of the legs of Rodgers. I'm curious to see, do they leave him more as a rat than a spy, meaning he's looking for those crossers to take them and carry them? Or do they let him get back and get into true zone like Georgia does with both of these linebackers? Here they zone them both out. You can see N'Kobe Dean is here. As he drops out, watch him communicate and point the shallow to his other backer right there. See him pointing in, 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 in. So he levels off now because he knows there's something behind him. So he's getting square to read the quarterback's eyes because if he throws that dig route, I'm going to get underneath it. He's communicated the in route to seven. Seven has found it, and he's getting ready to go drive the ball. Okay. So a lot going on, right? It's, it's a good way to stress the defense. And right there, probably lucky that it, it ends up being an in, in incompletion. I'll tell you what, I'll go back to this real quick. While you do that, can I interrupt you and ask a question? Yeah, go ahead. Because there's a question that, that – <laughs> We were again. I keep referring to the Arkansas game. I know that's obnoxious, but I saw them in person, so it's it's what's on my mind. So Carson kept asking me during the course of that game, and Carson has played uh, other than the, the the just flag football games at school. He's never played. 
And so it was a legitimate question. He said, why doesn't Arkansas try to go get him more, meaning put more pressure on Rodgers? Because when they only rushed three, when it got home, obviously great, but when it didn't get home, Rodgers was just going through his progressions and two, three, four, five, sometimes back to one, and he'd find his guy. When Arkansas brought some pressures and got to him, he had a tendency, Rodgers did, to get a little rattled. He's not a big guy. To get a little rattled, to throw off his back foot some, to kind of get off platform, and he wasn't nearly as accurate. Led to an interception. Led to some missed uh, connections. Yet Arkansas didn't go to that very much, Pete. And 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 uh, I noticed Auburn the other day didn't do it either. What's up? Auburn with that? got a, I I think people got so scared by that LSU game, and it's not just it's not just the game one from last season there's clearly things on film that show you they have answers and they know how to attack. To me, the way to be successful or, or you know, I think Durkin, they're going to have to mix up what they do. They're not going to be able to just send three all game long, right? They're not going to be able to play man-to-man and pressure him all game long. Mixing in the zone blitz like you see Georgia do right here gives you a chance. You have to – you have to vary the picture that you give them. If you're too consistent with what you give Leach and Rodgers all night long, you are asking for trouble. So the question becomes, how much can your kids defensively handle, right, especially on a short week? This is, you know, I saw somebody on the message board during the Vandy game that said they had to have spent time working on Mississippi State you know, and, and our God, I hope they were working on state and not this because it didn't doesn't look great. Um, I, maybe they did. You know, I, I don't know. I have no way of knowing. They would never admit it. So yeah, but, no, they wouldn't. But if if today's your only true work day and you're having to cram all these things in, how much can you really do defensively against Mississippi State? I saw a debate on the board earlier this week. Do we like it being on Thanksgiving? I can tell you right now as a coach, I don't. I, if, I can tell you listening to Lane Kiffin uh, as we taped this on Monday night, Lane Kiffin did not like this being on Thursday. No, I, I, I Friday, okay, fine. Sure. Right. Um, and, and I'll say this too, fortuitous scheduling for state because I'd rather prepare for Tennessee State the week before than prepare for Vanderbilt, a conference game. Because you don't have to prepare. Right. So – um, that I, I, I hate from a matchup perspective, the shortened week to face this offense and to face their defense, quite honestly. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't love it. I know the staff doesn't either. You know, when I was at Ole Miss, we played on Thanksgiving a ton. And when I first got there, um, you're, you know, Jolie Dunn on defense and hyper aggressive and give you a ton of looks, but that staff had also been there long enough with Cutcliffe and, and Latina and, and Roper and those guys was – I remember offensive line-wise because that's that's who I was – I was working with John Latina at the time um, as, as his manager that first year. And, and just um, – they knew ultimately where Joe Lee Dunn was going to end up. And they were confident in what they could tell their kids about that. And the question was, can you go execute it, Right. And so it's kind of the same way with, with Mike Leach is you know what he's going to do is can you go execute? Um, but the short week certainly can make, make things difficult. 
Um, you know, but this is the same play I was showing you a minute ago. Just look, look, look at, at the eyes. And again, th this is the freshman quarterback, right? From from last year. And watch how quickly his eyes come back to find his shallow. He feels the pressure. He's not threatened by it. He knows it's there. He knows where he wants to work is taken away. So he's going to come find it right now. And if he doesn't have to throw off his back foot, right, if the right tackle doesn't get beat right there, um, it's probably either a completion or, or you know, Tulu's laying on the ground because seven was in a pretty good position right there to put a shot on him. So, um, but it, it's, it's how quickly he gets through the progression. Now, fast forward a year, right? I mean, it, look at the snap. Snap's low and to the left. Right. He, he's grabbing that almost by his knee. And this is some of the things that people I think take for granted when they look at quarterback play. But look at his eyes are already on his read right now. He sees the blitz coming. He knows the blitz is coming. He doesn't even have the ball firmly in his hands yet. And all of a sudden he's already found the next read in his progression. So it's really impressive when you watch him. And it's a product of the system. And that's not a knock on the system. But it, it's impressive to watch how fast this young kid last year goes through his progressions, and then to spring forward to now. So same concept now, just no motion, okay? It's the exact same deal. So you're going to get a post from the, up top, okay? He's looking at this safety. If the safety's tall, I'm going to work underneath. If he were to come down, I may try to bang that post, okay? They're going to clear it out here with him. They're going to send him. His coaching point is to run right down the heels of the defensive lineman. If he sees this guy turn and leave early, he may climb a couple steps and sit in the window and kind of throttle his route down and find that open space. If that guy does not just turn and exit, but is a little more vertical or patient in his drop, he's going to stay on the run until he hits that opposite hash, and then, then he may start to climb a little bit. But you're still going to get the dig from here. Okay, so pre-snap here, his eyes are here, right? Watch what the safety does pre-snap. Let's see as the ball moves. He's getting depth. You see it now. So he knows the post is off the page. I, I can't throw that post. So already right now, his eyes are starting to transition. Who can take away my dig? So I watched Alabama the other day use motion to to – identify coverage they did it all night long all afternoon long it was i was like oh pete would be so proud of me because i know exactly what i'm watching they didn't use any motion right there so how does he know whether georgia's running zone or man so part two things okay one look at the eyes of the corners if i'm man to man where do my eyes have to be they've got to be on my right head. on your guy but they're looking in here the stripe on his helmet shows me right where his eyes are look okay. at the depth of the safeties here Okay, it is unlikely. Now they could play a cover two man, where they're man, man, man. But the 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 body language, the posture, and the alignment of these guys underneath, they they show me that that's not what I'm going to get right here. Okay, cool, I get it. Yeah. So so he's he's identifying zone right here. You get down closer to the red zone, you're expecting teams to be a little bit more aggressive, right? It, maybe the motion is a little bit more common because you really have to give him that identifier here. You're in the high red zone. Maybe you have a better feel. Maybe you think he's going to be able to identify it. And here it's pretty easy to. So right now he knows he can't throw that post. Okay. 
So he right now is trying to determine, can I throw my dig or is my shallow? And you look at his eyes right here. He sees he's sitting on my shallow. Mm -hmm. Waiting on, on it. Dig. He's, so they're waiting on it, right? Yep. So he's going to come all the way out of the back door and he's going to find this check down. And again, this is because of everything that they do. And this is a second long, but because of everything they do, you've got two guys pushing the umbrella. You've got guys leveling you off horizontally and creating stretches. You're forced to get some depth. And because you're forced to get that depth, when you can process through things quickly, these little check downs, you give him a chance to turn the shoulders. Well, it's a four-yard, five-yard gain right there. I mean, I, it, I can't see exactly because of where my deal So, play was snap. Yeah, ball's on the 24-yard line. They're blowing him dead. Looks like they're spotting it on the 21. So, it, it's three yards. That's not awful now, but third and seven. Or you also get a look right here at just how athletic and yeah. big Georgia is. My God, oh, you oh, see yeah. it on film, there don't you? Is, Holy shit. Uh, listen, we, we went over there this summer for a seven-on-seven seven tournament. We're in there indoor. And when we get there and I go to check our team in, they've got a group of kids going through conditioning with their strength staff, and everybody in the room is just jaw on the floor. You know, and the only guys not were the high school coaches that are sending kids to be in that room, you know. Um, it, but it, it was kind of funny to watch. I know – the first game at Ole Miss, and I'll get to this quick little sidetrack, but the first game at Ole Miss where I realized we're not upper echelon SEC right now was because of special teams. And it was an Auburn game. I think it was Thursday night. And, you know, Deuce and Romero, it's their, their last year on campus. And um, I think Rudy Johnson's at Auburn. Jason Campbell's their quarterback, you know. And, I, again, I think it was a Thursday night, but I remember the opening kickoff, I look out and Reggie Torber, Six five, yep. 240 pounds, and he's on kickoff team. And I'm looking at our kickoff return team, and it's it's guys, good players. Tremaine Turner, who did a lot of great things at Ole Miss Jersey, but Tremaine was 5'9", 205-pound running back. And I'm looking at the disparity between – and it's 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 crazy. And when you go watch Georgia right now, whatever they're doing, play and practice and whatever, they're kids, man. They're ridiculously big and athletic. Um, but you can watch Rogers right here. You can see he knows the post is off the page, so he's looking. Where's my dig? They've got my shallow. So, boom, I'm just going to give it to him, let him go do work. So, okay, it's third and five. Third and five is a lot better than third and nine, right? And they're okay living with that um, as a play. Okay, So we're going to go to the next one now, which is uh, mesh. Everybody runs mesh. Ole Miss has a couple different versions of mesh. And the air raid system, 92. Okay, it's it's what they call it. Now, the the old purest version of mesh, and this would be either green or blue formation based on where the backs are. Um, they may call it something different now, but in the old air raid days, that's how they identified their split back. Um, and, and the color told you which side the tailback was on versus where the H-back was. But the old purest days, this would have been either a corner or a deep out. It's, it's changed a lot now where they will post this guy, they will spot this guy and kind of sit him at about 10 yards over the ball. They'll do some different things here. But out of this split back, what you're going to get here, and this I've, I've tagged Z spot on this, so what you're going to get is this guy's going to set the mesh. So he's aiming right at five to six yards, right in front of that backer, and he's really trying to work through 
for that weak side backer. If he feels man-to-man, his path is going to continue till he gets out by the numbers and then he's going to either settle or turn up. But if he finds any version of zone, once he is past the other receiver, he's going to settle in the window, okay? If he's the setter, the other guy's the underneath mesh, he's going to come close enough that those two guys can high-five as they're running the route, okay? He's working and he is reading this linebacker. If this linebacker turns and drops, this kid is going to stop right over the ball and expect it right now. If that guy is sitting waiting or if he feels man-to-man, he's going to keep running. And so you're creating this stretch, and what you're going to do to try and really open that window up is you're going to push this guy out, and then you're going to push this guy out. On this particular play, I think what their protection has is I think that they will him, and then he's going to protect and check out late. So if they're wheeling that back into the boundary, then it's probably honestly a flipped progression where he's looking here first for the vertical shot. Then he's coming back to his mesh. And then his third one is looking for the guy sitting over the ball. And if nobody comes, this guy's going to get out late to try and pull a guy and, again, open that window for the mesh. So you can see here the receiver does a really nice job against the zone. Boom. There, here's the guy he's reading. You can see he's starting to push out right now. So the question is, how far is he going to push? He gets depth right there. That gives me what I want. So I'm just going to settle at the window. This is a second and five, second and four. They're having to play with depth. I mean, those linebackers, when that ball snapped, they're 10 yards, 11 yards from the line of scrimmage. They're yeah. giving you that underneath, right? Yeah. And you can. Yeah. Look at the quarterback. Look at his eyes. And, again, the progression, he's definitely looking tailback first. We'll skip forward to the end zone shot of this. You can see his eyes. He's looking for the, the rail into the boundary right there. So, boom, he knows now. He already knows it's gone. Watch him. He's already moving his eyes off of it. So, he is finding those backers. And the only guy he sees right in the middle is wearing stripes. So, he knows somebody's going to sit down give him a chance, balls out. You know, that's the other thing you talk about rushing, um, you know, them. There, there's an answer, right? If, if you blitz him right here and you don't get to one of these guys or you don't get to that back out of the backfield, he's going to get the ball out of his hand in a hurry. And if you miss a tackle, there's a long way to go. So, again, there's spots. you got to pick and choose. you got to know – when do I want to play the sticks? When do I want to play with a softer umbrella? When do I want to be more aggressive? So here's the same play now into the boundary. So they're going to start in two by two, and they're going to motion. So here, instead of um, instead of having two backs, there's only one back right here. Well, what they're going to do, there's my mesh. There. They're going to post this guy. They're going to wheel him. They may or and, and they may actually they may actually spot one of these guys and post the other one because they've also got the back that they can swing into the boundary right here. So there's the motion. So this is a second short backed up. Want to identify coverage? Okay, I know it's zone right now. Okay. So there they go. So there it is. You see, they 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 wheel the one guy out of the backfield. The running back is right behind him in the flat. So here 
when he sees number 14 come off this in collision, okay, they're trying to play a cloud coverage where he's going to be a deep third defender. If this guy squeezes this route, he's going to try to come off and take this wheel route by the motion guy. So you see here, this guy, he, he bounces out, he opens his hips. Now look at his hips. His hips are turned showing you he's going to take this. So Roger thinks he can throw this ball in here and he just misses on it, right? Where you've seen some progression with him and some growth is now you see him come and take this guy. Yeah. Because if yeah. he drops that off right here and 85 can block, that's a first down and some, yeah. right? Yeah. So that's, that's where you've seen kind of some of the progression, I think, um, with, with him as a player. But, you know, again, it, it goes back to I, I don't think he's I, – I don't think he's like some first-round talent. What he is, however, is a smart player. And, and when you listen to anybody in that locker room, people that are kind of involved in that program, is people love the kid as a leader. You know, they say, you know, by the end of his freshman year, they loved him as a leader. And so – I think from that standpoint, the way he leads, I think there's probably a lot of comparison to maybe what we've seen come of our number two in Oxford. Um, but in their style of play is a lot different, but they're both really dialed in right now. And the difference is Corral's in his second year in the system period. Rogers is in his second year of college, but he's been in a version of this system for, for much longer. Yeah. Same, same scheme right here. Right, you're going to put two guys on the mesh. They're going to spot a guy over the top, um, j just like you know, just like we did earlier. But again, we're just we're doing it from a different a different formation now. So we are mesh, mesh. He's working to spot, or actually, I lied to you. He's working to clear out. So now they're just adding somebody else to try and take a safety out of there to continue to create more stretch on the defense. Okay, Georgia here goes with, you know, with a little simulated pressure where they show it one way and then they, they actually loop from the backside. But here they do attack him. And you'll see Dean comes in. They get the running back to him. The back does a great job in pass pro right here. They're trying to loop 25 in or 35, 25 in late. But he knows there's pressure, so look at him. He knows where to go with the football. He's finding his hot route right now. The kid makes a good catch, and Georgia's there to tackle it. And that's the most important thing, right? If 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 you're going to force them to get the ball out hot, you have to be there to drop it as soon as he catches it. Chance Campbell talks about that earlier today when I talked to him. The key is is you have to tackle well against this system. Absolutely vital. Absolutely. You know, this is, you know, uh, a little bit longer or second and five again here. You've seen this now, right? We've shown three or four meshes. A lot of them, second and five, second and six, right? A lot of what they're going to do is based on, on down and distance. So here they come again, just another version of mesh. Boom, Georgia plays deep. He just takes the little check down, takes the sticks, okay? Yep. Um, I had a couple – I'll move on to this one. Uh, this is – so 95 is, is what they call this. And he will use this in a lot of different situations. This right here looks like it's about a third and six. So typically with 95, okay, it is either a vertical or a post by this guy, all right? And Ole Miss runs this. Everybody runs this. 
The next guy is going to run um, the, the crossing route. So his role, if the linebacker were standing here, his job, if there are two linebackers at normal depth, he's typically taught go under the first guy, over the second guy, and by the time he hits that hash, he wants to be 15 to 18 yards from the line of scrimmage. If he finds a zone, settle in the zone. This guy probably has a some type of a read. If there's no safety, he is going to work this into a post. And if there's anything inside or vertical over the top of that post, he's going to turn it into a dig, and he's going to sit down and curl in the first window that he can find. They will run this off play action. They'll do it a lot of different ways. Here, I believe he's actually going to run a corner route because his split is so tight. They may play action right here. But what you're trying to do is you're going to get somebody out in the flat. Whoops, excuse me. You're going to get somebody out in the flat, and you're going to try to get this guy to trigger and take the flat. And if he does, you're relying on this crossing route beating a backer or safety across the field. And if you get somebody chasing over the top of him, you trust your guy backside has found the grass to sit in. So you process through things fairly quickly, okay? Here you see Georgia shows pressure again. They drop two out. They end up sending one. But you can see right here, watch as the back gets out, his eyes, he knows his corner out up top is probably not there, okay? So he's watching, are these guys that drop out of here expanding with my back? And as soon as they do, he knows now he can trust that crosser because this linebacker is in good position, but he can't turn and run with this guy. And so now, because he's running with this vertical route, the safeties had to stay deep because he's getting pushed vertically. We've created this huge window because, again, we've stretched the defense. So now there's a window to drop the ball in. And if he has to push back side, you see he's settling down because he realizes everything over the top of him is soft. So here he's going to work the ball. And you can see the ball is out now. And he hasn't even cleared his backer yet. There it is in the window. See it from the end zone. My connection's a little slow, so I'm having a hard time sort of seeing where the ball went. But I, 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 I know I saw what you meant because he let it go. He was throwing to a window, trusting the receiver to get there. Yeah, he's. You can see it a little bit on this on this action. He, he's he's made his decision now. He knows what he's doing, and the receiver is here. He's not even cleared the backer. But these guys he knows have been cleared out by concept. So he is trusting that this window is going to be there. So he's going to let that ball go as the guy's clearing, and he's just going to put it right in that window. They oh, yeah. do so much. He can do it in his sleep. Yep. And that's why these air raid teams are so successful. So same concept right here. They're going to window dress it this time. They're going to bring this guy in motion, show like a little jet sweep look. There's your vertical. You're still getting your cross. And now instead of having this dig back here, they're actually going to rail this guy. They, they, they like this. Um, Leach runs this little version of it quite quite a bit. Um, but you, you see right here, he, he feels the pressure coming. He sees man-to-man. So he just tries to take the back, who is usually going to be a, a man-beater. But the safety does a great job over the top of recognizing what's coming and peeling off on it because the truth is N'Kobe Dean's responsible for him. But as this route works in, he knows N'Kobe's going to have to fight over contact. 
if this safety doesn't make the play, if he does anything else, goes to the middle of the field, chases Wally on the cross right here or whatever it is, this is a walk-in touchdown. But the safety kind of bails him out right there because he sees it, recognizes what happened. And, and so it's a really good read by the quarterback. It's probably a better play by the safety. Because 17 looks a little bit you – know, he's not sure if he's got him or whatever right there. So – Right here, this one, honestly, I couldn't tell if this is 95, which is the cross that we just talked about, or if it's even 96, which is typically 96 is all curl. But because this guy's vertical and not on the curl route, I think it's 95. And what you'll find, again, they do this stuff so much. Watch how quickly this receiver sits in the hole. As soon as he clears the backer, he knows because his eyes are inside. He knows right now I can't – it's going to take me too long to cross him. So I'm going to get in here and just stop. And I'm going to hope he finds me in that grass. See how he avoids it? But, again, you know, what we talk about is when, when we're working this concept, we want to peek who's over the top of this. Well, he knows the safety's over the top. So that's off the page. So, okay, now the, 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 the read, once I know this is covered, then the question is my horizontal stretch here. Or you're underneath. So who's going to take the underneath? Well, he feathers out and sinks off, and he doesn't get any width. He just gets depth. So he just goes right now and he takes his back. This is a second and nine, second and ten. He's going to get five yards here because that linebacker. So yeah. Yep. Linebacker stayed on the hash. Look at the corner. Eyes are inside, but he's feathering out. He's, it's cover two. He's funneling that guy, trying to protect the safety. So just give it to him. He does a great job sticking his foot in the ground. They go from second nine to third and four. They're mm -hmm. comfortable in third and four all day long. Sure. Right? And so, like, you know, people sometimes want to badmouth the air raid and, you know, just for all the dink and the dunk. And, you know, one, you still got to be able to execute. You still got to be able to process – but the truth is, like right here in 22, the best thing he does, he catches his ball, he looks at that shoulder, and he's going to go shave the shoulder. He is going to go take the softest shoulder. And in that case, this hip is up, so his shoulders are at an angle. So he's going to try to go run through that shoulder. If it were flipped for some reason, like if this guy's gone and he's coming, he's going to try to run through the outside shoulder because it's the softer shoulder. It's, it's naturally turned. But watch him, he gets vertical and goes right through it because he's going to maximize the yards after catch. It's not about making guys miss. It's about catching the ball and knifing a defender. <clears throat> Same concept right here. Again, now they're going to use motion. Here we are. We're close to that red zone, right? What are we going to get? Is it zone? Is it man? It looks like man right now with two deep safeties, but you can see the corners are showing press. Well, there goes the motion. Nobody runs with him. We're about to get some version of zone. They're going to, they may press and bail out. They may whatever, but we're going to get some version of zone here. So they're going to push him vertical. They're going to push him on the cross. They're actually going to put this guy down the seam. Outside guy's got his same route. And if he doesn't have to stay in protection, he's going to get out of here. Well, there you see. He, he does – the back does a great job. He realizes the blitzer is reading me. So I'm going to go ahead and get out and make the decision for the quarterback right there. 
because if I stay in, he's going to come blitz. So let's take him out of the progression or out of the out of the blitz right there. And now they, you know, they do a good job. They get pressure, but they give him a place to flush. They have no contain. And he's not looking to beat you with his legs, but they do a great job on the scramble drill. And you can see this really from the end zone. He does a great job, just waits, finds it. And it's a really nice throw on the run. I think my internet's a little slow now. But they're able to get it down for, for a big play. They give him the catch right there. So, you know, th those are, you know, he he kind of blends. Like that was – I labeled that as Y cross. I went back and forth. It, it could have been his four verticals concept. But he, he just does a lot of really simple stuff. This is the last one I was going to show you because this is actually my favorite thing I've seen him do recently. So he motions here on this one. So a million teams run concepts where they're going to push this guy vertical and they're going to put the running back in the flat and they're going to work a similar stretch where they're going to put one guy on the shallow and one guy on a dig. So again, you're working, okay, who's my overhang? Is he going to chase the flat? If he does, I'm working this high low right here. If he doesn't chase the flat, I'm going to take the ball in the flat. If nobody's over the top of my my whole shot here, then I'm going to I'm going to throw the whole shot. Well, what he's actually done, I think this is really smart. He's going to put the back in the flat, but he's actually going to have him take a slow release to block, and the quarterback is going to put his eyes right here. Excuse me. Quarterback is going to put his eyes right here on this linebacker. Okay. If he expands to take the flat, he's going to come back. This guy is either going to sit versus zone or keep running versus man, and he's going to work that dig window with a chance to sit down in the first window he finds, and he's probably going to just clear it out or maybe run an out route or something like that. Okay, so it's a really simple read right here. Put my eyes on that backer. Ball snapped. Where does he go? Boom, he goes right to it. So Rogers knows right now, come find my check down. If I'm coming to find my shallow and he's sitting there and nobody's on top of him, throw him the ball. If these guys are driving him, you see all the space being created right there behind him. So you have to do a really good job defensively. You know, and then this will go to the end zone. This is a first and 10. They gained five, six yards on the first play. But you have to do a really good job defensively of knowing, okay, what are my levels? Am I always going to be dropping to 10, 12 yards like here? You know, Nicobe Dean keeps his shoulder square, you know, keeps everything in front of him. But they're throwing a three-yard pass right there that ends up being a six-yard gain. They will take that all day long because that is the extension of their run game. And the more Georgia starts to do this, now you talk about having the ability to run the ball because you're getting a four-man box right there, and this handoff or the little long handoff he just threw to 31, they get you the same thing, man. They're getting you five and six yards. And so that's where, you know, Leach does a great job. Um, you know, just he's got guys right now that are doing a good job of understanding take what's given to you and maximize it. It's, it's great stuff. I look forward to – I look forward to watching it after watching them the last few weeks. I watched them a lot against Auburn. I obviously saw them 
uh, in Fayetteville. It's it's a it's a very efficient offense. They run a lot of the same things. But they yep. they they lull you into thinking something's coming, and then they throw something else at you. They're 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 really good. I expect a really competitive close game. I'm I'm guessing you do too. Yeah, I, I, I do. You know, I'm curious to see what the weather does. You know, K- Kiffin talked about that today. In theory, teams that throw it 70 times a game don't like the rain. Um, at the same time, the reality is when it's all you do, there's a you get comfortable with it, right? Um, I, most teams work wet ball drill, um, whether it's once a week or just when it's in the forecast. Most teams work it to some degree. Um you know, I mean, literally, we would on Tuesdays, and it was every Tuesday pre-practice, the centers and quarterbacks when I was at Ole Miss would take snaps, and managers would stand there with water bottles and would squirt the center's hand while he's over the ball. And, you know, the quarterbacks are taking snaps because you have to work it. And so – but when that's all you do, when it's all you do is throw the football, I don't know if it changes much. Rodgers doesn't push the ball down the field a ton. He did some against Auburn um, because Auburn started getting desperate and gave it to him some. Um, So much of what he does is underneath that 12 to 15-yard ceiling. Um, Not that he can't throw it down the field, but whether it's because teams are taking it away or whatever the case may be, you just don't see as much of it. Um, I'm curious to see if that kind of trend continues. But, again, as you're throwing things underneath and the short stuff, the ball doesn't bother you as much when it's slick. And those suckers now, man, they – they um, there's so many ways you can prepare a ball um, and, 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 and prepare it. I mean, before our season starts, I'll take a pair of game balls and I'll um, – you know, once you rub the initial wax off of them, you freaking rub those things down with all sorts of stuff, and I put mink oil on them. And for the first five or six weeks of the season, that mink oil will help. It'll help um, repel water. You know, you almost treat it like you would a baseball glove, right? And it, it, it helps repel some of that water. And then I coat it with clear shoe polish every week because it adds some tack back to the ball. So they know what those tricks are. You know, le- leeching those guys, if, if the ball's wet, they know how to deal with it. Um, torrential downpour is another story. Um, but, yeah, so I, I think uh, – we know it's going to be a good atmosphere. I, I don't I don't think it's going to be a sellout. I don't know if it's going to be a sellout. But one thing I think you have to give Mississippi State credit for in the last few years is they've done a phenomenal job with atmosphere um, in the stadium. Um, it know, gets loud. It's a loud stadium. It, it, it yeah. gets loud. You can say whatever you want about their fan base. They are a committed fan base. Um, and, and it's not a fun place to go play, you know, so – um, I do, I, but I, yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a really competitive game. I think it's going to be a late fourth quarter game. I do too. I, I don't think it's one that gets settled early. Um, and, and if it is, I, I, I would be surprised. I just think I think both teams have a lot to play for. Both teams have a lot of pride, um, and should be fun. Pete, I know I've told you this a lot. I. Uh... I'm so appreciative, and I know a lot of people are too. I catch myself. I really uh, on Saturday. I was watching. So I was watching a couple of games, but the one that stuck out was I was watching Alabama and Arkansas, kind of waiting for Ole Miss to get started at six thirty, and I was watching Alabama create matchups with motion, and I was like, "Oh, I see what they're doing. They got an ISO here." And I know a lot of. I've heard a lot of people tell me they 
they've uh, learned a lot about the game the same way that I have, just listening to you each week as we get ready for Ole Miss's next opponent. So I know I speak for a lot of people when I tell you how much we appreciate it. No, I, I listen, I, I, um, I, I love this game. I, I love studying the game. I love talking about the game. I like teaching the game. So um, it's, it's certainly been fun for me. Um, if anybody's wife has gotten frustrated because you're constantly pointing out and trying to tell her what you see, I apologize to her. Um, I know my wife gets fed up with it sometimes. Like I'll just start muttering something and she'll go, what'd they say? And she knows that it's the announcer said something wrong and it's, <laughs> you know, so um, it, it's just, that's, that's kind of, you know, people comment sometimes like, I'd love to watch a game with you. Like you really wouldn't. Cause I really don't say much. I just sit and I watch and I see it and I process it. And every now and again, I like, send a text to another coach on staff or I'll immediately get on Twitter to see if somebody's screen capped it, you know? Um, but, but really I, it's not like I sit there the whole game, like teaching my toddler what's about to happen. So um, she would not, she would not care. I mean, yeah. no, no, no. Well, you know, I, I, I've seen pictures of her. I'm sure she's learned a little <laughs> bit about cover two, but something tells me that that's not where her mind is. We, we, middle we of the talk, third quarter. We talk daddy ball and then <laughs> we dance to the music. So yeah, that's, we're not there yet. We're, we're not quite the coach's daughter on the, on the remember the Titans, but we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, um, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Speaking of her, I hope she has a great, uh, a great Thanksgiving. Hope you all do. And we will, uh, we'll touch base with you here soon. And then uh, we'll get ready for whatever bowl game Ole Miss goes to whenever time rolls around. I'm going to say one thing real quick. I hope it's okay. Um, Tom Turner was a great Ole Miss Rebel fan from Philadelphia, Mississippi. He and his wife, Huge old Miss people. I owe them a lot of my fandom, so to speak, uh, to take me to games when I was young. Tom passed away uh, just the other day. His family will be invested in the Egg Bowl. Um, they're, they're, a, they're a split family just like mine. Some of the siblings are a little smarter when, than others when they chose where to spend their four years of college. Um, but absolutely a great Rebel. So prayers and thoughts to his family. Absolutely. Uh, our thoughts to, to them. I don't even know them, and I, I, I feel for them. All right, we'll uh, we'll let you go. Enjoy your holiday, and uh, we'll touch base with you again soon. Thank you. Take care. That was Pete Deweese. He's joined us all 12 games this season, giving us uh, so much of his time. I'm really appreciative of it. I told him that. I want to tell you guys that. Um, it's been such a, a difference maker for the site, I think, for this show to have X's and O's, film, all that stuff. I've learned a lot about football. I hope you guys have as well. We'll talk to Ryan Brown in just a minute, uh, kind of go around the SEC a little bit. First, I want to tell you that uh, we're also brought to you by Brothrow. It's a sp- sports betting network, free to use. It's a really cool, fun way to bet. No third party, so there's no juice. Over time, that's going to save you money. You can start your own group, make friends, and invite your friends. It's bet.brothrow.com backslash MPW. Uh, go to muddywateroutdoors.com. It's muddywater camo. Enter the promo code REBELGROVE. Get 35% all items Free shipping on $100 or more. It's holiday season. You want to make sure you are ready for that, which means you want to make sure you got your Game Changer patches. It's the uh, only two-patch system available in the market to stop hangovers before you start. It's got the warm-up patch, the overtime patch. You need both. So go to uh, GameChangerPatch.com, enter the promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase there at Game Changer Patch. We're also brought to you by ACS, Automation Control Systems, LLC. It's owned and operated by Clay McNutt in Baldwin, Mississippi. It's a complete electrical 
control system solution provider and a Rockwell recognized automated uh, integrator. They've got a full-time dedicated emergency service and troubleshooting staff and a UL508A panel shop. If um, you are in need of custom HMI, SCADA solutions, or large horsepower VFD specialists, they've got you covered at ACS, ACSLLCMS.com, or call 662-601-4381. We'll go now to Ryan Brown of uh, Next Round Live. He joins us to talk about uh, around the SEC. We talked some coaching search stuff. Uh, you'll remember Ryan picked Ole Miss to go 10-2 before the season, so he's got a lot at stake here on Thursday night when the Rebels and the Bulldogs get together in Startville. Talked about it with him earlier today. Here's Ryan. Ryan Brown of the next round joins us as he always does each week. This week on a Tuesday, he's changing his schedule for us because – Ole Miss and Mississippi State have the audacity of playing this game on Thanksgiving night. Ryan, I'm going to assume that you love this being on Thanksgiving love night. Love it. Love it, man. Love it. How would you feel about the Iron Bowl being on Thanksgiving night? Uh, you know, I went to a Thanksgiving Iron Bowl. It was on Thanksgiving night. It was 1992, the year Alabama won the national championship. The, I remember stupid stuff like that. And then for years it was on Black Friday. Well, I say for years. For several years it was on Black Friday. Um, but then once Alabama got really good and then Auburn was good off and all, and they decided that 2.30 CBS window. I probably, I don't, I don't deny that I would not like the Iron Bowl being on Thanksgiving. I do love the Egg Bowl there. It is, it is a tradition I love watching the Lions, watching the Cowboys, watching the Egg Bowl. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I love the NFL, but even that NFL game does not compete for me with the Egg Bowl. I love it being on Thanksgiving night. You're in a unique position here because before the season, you guys did your like brave, bold predictions, and yours yep. was Ole Miss goes ten and two. You were you 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 never wavered. You said Ole Miss ten and two. You are right yep. there. You're one game away from. I know. Probably having bragging rights there in the studio. Uh, what do you think about Thursday night's game? By the way, also at Florida State, 5-7. and seven. That was another prediction. Oh. If they lose to Florida, they're 5-7. and seven. And oddly, I can't remember what my third prediction was, but I hope it was equally as good. Which of those two predictions do you feel better about right now? Ole Miss at 10-2 and two or Florida State at 5-7? and seven? Well, that's a tough one. Florida fires Dan Mullen. Uh, I don't know. That's a really tough call there because I've liked Ole Miss all this year, but boy, Will Rogers is playing well. And, uh, you know, I, I don't. I haven't paid close enough attention to know how much home field means in this game. Like, it means a lot in the Iron Bowl. You know that, Neil. You know Auburn has, you know, has played this game historically much better in Jordan Hare. Alabama hasn't really played it historically much better in Brian Denny, but that's because for years it was at Legion Field. Um, but Alabama of late has played it much better in Brian Denny. Um, so I don't know how much it matters here. So I'm trying to think this is my 14th. 13th year on the beach. It's my 13th Egg Bowl, and I'm trying to think who's won what. Ole Miss won at home in 08. State won at home in 09. State won in Oxford in 10 and 11. Ole Miss won in 12, 13. Yeah. I don't not, No, not really. Just yeah. It's a weird game. And it so, is. You know, sometimes you it get is. to the end of a year and, and neither one of the two teams is done. You know, that happens some fairly frequently. Not this year, though. You've got two teams that, that come in with, with kind of some momentum. Ole Miss has a – it's a weird field of momentum because they, they played so well against Texas A&M and then they got um, 
You know, they didn't play particularly well against Vanderbilt, but I don't think anybody expected them to. And then Mississippi State, oddly enough, is getting a ton of credit for coming back and beating Auburn. That seems to be what completely changed the way we view them. A week earlier, they lost in Fayetteville, and they just yep. beat Tennessee State or whoever. And I mean, Tennessee State lost to a fifth-grade team Thursday. Um, I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know what I think. I, I think it's a really close game, but it's your prediction that's on the line, not mine. Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, me looking like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I love this quarterback matchup, though. I mean, I think Rodgers, even in that loss at Fayetteville, Rodgers had a fantastic game. He was phenomenal, especially in the second half against Auburn. Uh, and, and you know how I feel about Matt Corral. I mean, that's one of the reasons Lane Kevin plus Matt Corral that I had Ole Miss at 10-2 this year. And the way he has played when he's been healthy has been terrific. I'm like you. I'm, I'm willing to discount a Vanderbilt game. A, it's Vanderbilt. B, it's the week before the Egg Bowl. It's the week before a short week leading up to the Egg Bowl. You can't tell me. That game was 10 nothing pretty quick, right? Am I right about that? Yeah, it was 10 nothing with – 10 minutes to go in the first quarter or something. And it's human nature. You go, okay, we're going to yep. kill them. And, and, you know, you well, kind of yeah. turn it off a little. And sometimes when you turn it off, it's hard to get it back on. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was like 24 6, if I remember right. I mean, there were several times in that game where I'm sure, even if you were mentally engaged, it's easy to say, all right, here we got, we got Mandy behind us. It's already Egg Bowl week, man, because we're playing Thursday night. You know, you know, Let's, you just start thinking about it, and you lose focus, and it's Bandy. I mean, it's hard enough to be focused on Bandy anyway. It's 10 nothing. You think Bandy's not going to score 10 points. So, you know, you feel like the game is already over. So I'm willing to discount that. Like you said, Tennessee State, I would discount anything good or bad that happens in that game. So, you know, I, I kind of look at, you know, what I've seen out of Ole Miss of late when Corral is healthy. He's been very good. Will Rogers has been fantastic. It's about as good a quarterback matchup as we've got in the entire nation. This weekend, like just off the top of my head, you don't have this good a quarterback matchup in the Iron Bowl. I don't think you do in Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is pretty good, but I don't think it's this good. So, yeah, I mean, this is about as good a quarterback matchup as you're going to find anywhere in the country. So, you sticking with Ole Miss? I, I will. Yeah, I'll stick with Ole Miss to, to win this. It's a tough call for me, though. I mean, I know State Open is the favorite. I don't know where it is now. State's uh, minus, State is minus one as we record yeah. this. Yeah, that's the last time I saw it. State minus one. That's a virtual pick them. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, this time of year you have to worry about coaches who are rumored to go places, and obviously Lane Kiffin's right in the middle of several different rumors. If they really are leaving a lot of times, you know, these games become very, very tricky. And I'm not saying I think Lane is. I'm just saying that would be a concern of mine. You know, if he thinks he's got the Florida job or if he thinks he's got the LSU job or, you know, whatever job it would be. And I would say the same with Mike Leach if he were rumored for any of these jobs, but he's not. That becomes tricky in these games uh, because you got one coach that could be on their way out, and you just never know how much of their mental focus is on that game. All right, let's talk about Kiffin. I'm curious to get your thoughts. The LSU job's open. We've been talking about that for a little while now because they fired him back in October. Now Dan Mullen's out after um, – did you see the quote, by the way, from Drinkwitz? I, I did. I, I thought, thought that was, was a little bit petty. petty. And, and let me ask you, if you believe and you reap what you sow, he says if you sow jackass, you reap jackass. In other words, he said, yeah, I was a jackass only because Dan Mullen sowed jackass, so I'll let him reap a little bit of it. Then are you not in turn also sowing jackass that one day you're going to have to reap? Isn't that the kind of the way the law would work? Yeah, the, the quote, in case anybody missed it, this is uh, Eli Drinkwitz 
uh, today. Uh, Matt Hayes tweeted it. I don't know whether he was on Matt's show or what it was, but he I says, think he was. Yeah, I think, I think he was. Yeah. He says, my, my father was a farmer, and there's an old saying, you reap what you sow. If you sow kindness, you reap kindness. If you sow jackass, you reap jackass. That's right. Uh, uh, by the way, I think he's right about that. I mean, it's actually, if you want to get really deep on that, that's a biblical principle. It's not quite put that way in the Bible. <laughs> but but it, is, it is a biblical principle. My point is, like... Like, like, you, you can, can look at the golden rule and say, treat others, you know, the way you want to be treated, right? Which is basically what the golden rule says. Well, if you're a turd to me, I would say, well, Neil clearly wants to be treated like a turd because he treated me like one, so I'll treat him like a turd. Well, then in turn, aren't you treating him like a turd saying you want to be treated that way? So my, my point is, if it is a cycle that you reap what you sow, if he in turn is sowing jackass, in theory, there's a day that Eli Drinkwitz has to reap jackass. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see if that happens. It, it it seems like he's already gotten the last word. I mean, you did the Star yeah. Wars thingy, and he got fired. And I'm told yeah. that actually played a role in it. I was told that Steve Spurrier basically still has quite a swings, quite a sword, if you will, uh, <laughs> there in uh, in in Gainesville, and essentially said, "Hey, look, Scott, it's it's either him or it's both of you." I, I think Spurrier lives right across the street from Scott Strickland, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were their neighbors. So I do think Spurrier has, I don't know if you would call it an outsized voice, um, because Spurrier does mean a lot to that program. But I do think he's still got a very, a very big voice down there. That's the tricky thing. You know, we've, we've talked about this with Auburn before, with Pat and I living you know, in that community for so long after he was the coach there. It is tricky when the legendary coach is still alive, still lives in the community, and is still very much vocal and involved, and Spurrier is that in Florida. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So, talked about Kiffin. Do you see a scenario where Kiffin is in the mix at LSU or Florida? Do you buy any of the talk? Um, Scott Strickland seems a little conservative to me to be hiring Lane Kiffin. Um, you know, I think that the, the style of football Lane plays, a really exciting offensive style, is what is sold there, right? It's what you thought you were getting in Mullen. And at times you did get it, and times you didn't. So I could see it being offensively a fit. Um, Personality-wise, I personally think Lane is better at a job where he can play the underdog, where he can be the guy that does the stuff that he does in Oxford, which I love, by the way. I like his Twitter persona. I like him doing the game day stuff he did. We talked about it last week. You can't really get away with that at Florida. It's a, and I don't mean this as a slight at all to Ole Miss. Ole Miss fans are serious about football. But I think Ole Miss fans embrace the party, too. And at Florida, I don't think they embrace the party as much. Even though that's a party school, I think that is very much a – you know, you. I, I think it's what hurt Mullen is Mullen tried to do some stuff like that, and it backfired on him. I don't know that that. I don't know that Lane has the personality that matches up with the Florida job. Is he a good enough coach? Coach absolutely is. I think the world of Lane Kiffin is a coach. I don't know that he's got the personality that matches with that job, though. Yeah, and I just don't see a scenario where Scott Strickland hires him. I, I don't think LSU is going to get that far. I, and wh- whether you believe the Jimbo Fisher stuff, the Lincoln Riley stuff, I don't see LSU getting past the um, Billy Napier, Dave Aranda level. Uh, yeah. s- some people mention Matt Campbell still. 
Um, some people, I'm sorry about that. Some people mentioned Matt Campbell is oh. still a possibility. Every time you look down like that, that, I think you've gotten breaking news. I think somebody has texted you about to tell me, oh, Ryan, wait a minute, I've got the Florida coach. No, I, I, I'll tell you what I think about Florida. I think Florida wants to hire Billy Napier. And yeah. I'm really curious to see what happens next week if Billy Napier is uh, the target for both LSU and Florida. I'm curious to see what happens with LSU if Lincoln Riley wins on Saturday and has a game next Saturday and wants to kick the can down the, the road for a week. Does LSU wait a week on Lincoln Riley running the risk of other people coming off the board in that week? It's got a chance to be a crazy week. When you see the Bruce Feldmans of the world write about 33 names that could come up in a coaching carousel, those people are pretty connected, as you know. And yeah. Are they going to get them all right? No, of course not. But are they going to get them all wrong? No, not no, not, no. not a chance. No. And so there's there's going to be some stuff happening, and those are some of the things that I'm watching. And I, I do think it all starts with LSU. Well, well I, I think that's, that's the best opening. opening. Um, and some will argue Florida is better than LSU. I, I feel like maybe there was a day it was, but I think LSU is better right now. Clearly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think LSU is the best opening. And, you know, you bring up the point of LSU missing on – a guy or two, it would be awful for them to go ahead and fire Orgeron just so you can get a head start on this, and then Florida beat you to a guy you wanted. I mean, that would be a massive failure by Scott Woodward, which we're not accustomed to seeing him fail. But, and we saw this, I'll go a long way back to Nick Saban in Alabama, you know, Mal Moore, there were a lot of competing interests there, uh, as you'll remember, Dale. Mal Moore wanted Nick Saban and was doing his best to convince Nick Saban to take the Alabama job. And Alabama boosters got panicky. And they went rogue and went after Rich Rodriguez and for a minute thought they had him. They did, Rod- have, they did have him. Yeah, yeah. And Rodriguez, maybe Rodriguez, Rita Rodriguez, maybe not Rich, got the cold feet and they stayed in Morgantown. And then it was, you know, you started the cycle over. But to Mal Moore's credit, he never quit on Nick Saban. And, and and ended up getting him, him. but by chasing Saban, he almost they almost lost a guy. Or by chasing Saban, you almost let other interests get involved and really screw things up, which is another risk you run. Yeah, it's it's um, it's why I'm I'm watching. I always like Bedlam. It's one of my favorite games to watch. And this year, I'm I'm even more dialed into it because I think I think the game affects so many different things. If uh, if Oklahoma wins. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't I don't disagree with you at all. You know, because I don't know that Lincoln Riley's going to do the whole, hey, listen, I'll let somebody else coach the Big 12 title game. I'm going to LSU. I, I, I don't think he would do that. And yeah. so, you know, in, in that, if that happens, LSU has to get panicky. And then if you're Florida and you want Billy Napier, it's like, okay, you got to strike now. And you wonder with Billy Napier, who's a guy that's been pursued by Mississippi State and South Carolina and other places, and he's kind of said no. Does he say, nope, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang tight. I'm going to see what happens with LSU. And then leading me to another question to prove to you that I actually sometimes have some interview skills, perhaps Auburn, where he would make sense. Although Billy Napier wants autonomy and you can't get it at Auburn. Doesn't exist, yeah. And the reason you bring Auburn up, obviously, for those like, wait a minute, Neil, Auburn doesn't have an opening. There continue to be rumors. There have been no credible reports as of yet, but rumors – that for a couple of reasons, uh, Brian Harson is interested in the Washington job. 
Now, now there's a couple of reasons would be maybe Auburn isn't why he thought it was going to be. And he's not as happy here as he thought he was going to be. And the other thing is, Chris Peterson still has a very large voice in that Washington search. And Chris Peterson basically handpicked Brian Harson to replace him at Boise and would want to do the same thing, though it isn't a direct replacement. Jimmy Lake would be in between them for 13 games uh, and then an interim. Um, but maybe handpicked him to be ultimately the replacement there at Washington. So I think that's something to watch. And that Auburn opening would be behind LSU. It would be behind LSU, Florida, and USC if Auburn happened to come open and those are still open. So it would be at best the fourth opening of this cycle. But would still, I think, generate some very interesting names. And I do think they would... Take a look at Billy Napier, but to your point, the thing Billy Napier that almost anybody that knows this guy or has been around this guy will tell you is he wants complete autonomy. And as you pointed out, you don't get that at Auburn, which leads you back to one of the reasons that Brian Harson might not be happy here if, in fact, those rumors are true. Do you get it at Florida? Do you get autonomy at LSU? Even Nick Saban didn't get the autonomy that he no. wanted at LSU. Do you, do, do you get autonomy yeah. there now? Of, of course, course, if Nick Saban, you know, when they hired Orgeron, if Saban said, you know what, I've always wanted to go back there, he would have gotten it then. Sure. So, you, so you, you wonder if they looked at it and say, hey, look, this guy's pretty good. He learned under Saban. He's been a lot of good places. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the weird thing about Billy Napier is I know he's holding out for a place where he gets autonomy, but he hasn't earned autonomy. I mean, he's done a really good job at Lafayette, and he's got a good pedigree. You know, he's been with Nick Saban at Alabama. He's been with Dallas Swinney at Clemson. It's two of the best models going. Um, he's shown he can do it as a head coach. But, I mean, I would guess just offhand, if you said name me the coaches in this country that have complete control of their program, that nobody meddles with them. I know Nick Saban does. I would guess Dabo Sweeney does. I would think Ryan Day probably by now does, but I'm not even certain about that. But I don't even know where I'd go after that. I'd Kirby has a chance to have a good bit of autonomy, if not total yeah. autonomy at this point. He probably does. Yeah, I would say Kirby is probably another one. I wouldn't think Lincoln Riley does at Oklahoma. Harbaugh to a degree at Michigan, but there's yeah. our, there's competing factors there. Um, yeah, but no, it, what's, what's he done at Louisiana Lafayette? I mean, he's won. He's yeah. won at a high level, but, you know, I mean – is Jamie Chadwell going to go through the process and go, hey, I want total autonomy wherever I go? I mean, you know, it's kind of the same thing. He's won at Coastal. Um, yeah. Really good story, by the way, in The Athletic today about Andy Staples about Jamie Chadwell. It's a, it's a, it's a really ta- uh, strong read from a talented writer. Um, all right. Where do you think Auburn would go? Is there a name? That uh, com- is there one guy that comes to mind? Is it? Well, I, didn't, I didn't think they'd go to Ryan Harson. So it's because they got turned down a bunch. You know that last that last um, search was so messy because for a while there was a rumor that Kevin Still was going to be the guy, and that some of those Auburn people that that liked to metal had gotten involved, and Kevin Still had convinced them, "If you hire me, I'll let you handpick my staff." Basically. Um, and then there were the reports that even if it didn't go to Kevin Still, I'm laughing at the thought of telling a coach, Hey, you can have the job, but we name your staff. It's just, yeah. what makes you think yeah. that would possibly work? I mean, it, but there again, Kevin knew what he was playing to, right? He was playing to people that love to have control. It's relationship. It's a relationship that is formed in chaos requires chaos to continue. Right. And so, 
that's that's Auburn's. Frankly, it's Auburn's bad habit is that yep. they end up having these searches that become chaotic. They end up hiring a coach, and you have a brief honeymoon. But as soon as things get going, the the relationship requires chaos to continue, and the chaos tears it down, which leads to another chaotic search, which leads to another chaotic hire, which leads right. to more chaos. And so at some point, you have to break the chaos cycle. Well, and, and I had I had Auburn fans guaranteeing me that Mario Cristobal had accepted the job already, uh, even up to and beyond the point that Mario Cristobal had gotten a contract extension at Oregon. Um, so, you know, I think his name would come back up. Matt Campbell's name gets mentioned any time there's a job that's significantly better than Iowa State. His name's going to be mentioned. A lot of people. So, I mean, a lot of people saying Campbell for the first time is actually listening. Campbell's actually talking to people. Yeah. It's it's. it's and he's a guy that's interesting to me because he's known as a tremendous coach, a tremendous program builder. But I don't know that Matt Campbell's ever recruited at a level where you go, man, that dude is a stud. But now it's Iowa yeah. State. If you that's put, right. If you put Matt Campbell at Auburn or at Florida or at Ole Miss or at LSU, is it a different deal? Is he a different recruiter? I, I don't know. Could Could he recruit that part of the country? Is recruiting recruiting? Brian Harson would probably tell you no, it's not. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to that. Yeah, I mean, those are, those are all great questions. And it is the great unknown in hiring a coach because there are so many coaches. I thought Dan Mullen was a shoe in at Florida. I thought Dan Mullen would go to Florida, probably wouldn't win on the Urban Meyer level, but would have them back in a national championship discussion. And Dan Mullen's fired now. I never thought Will Muschamp would be a good head coach. When Auburn fans wanted Will Muschamp as a head coach, I was like, I don't really know about him. And when Florida hired him, I thought it was an awful hire. So, so, you know, know some might get right, some might get wrong. I'm not an athletic director, but athletic directors probably have about the same hitting percentage in this as, as you and me do. Mm-hmm. Like, I think some hires are good hires. They're bad hires. I think some hires are good hires. They're great hires. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never been a big Eli Drinkwitz fan. We talked about him earlier. I think he will flame out of Missouri. We'll see if I'm wrong. I thought Heifel was a terrible hire at Tennessee. He's had a fantastic first year. We'll see if I'm wrong. You know, I thought Tom Herman. Tom Herman was – was the fair hair child. Everybody, Everybody wanted Tom Herman. And I always said, here's what I got right. I got Dan Mullen way wrong. I always said, guys, look at Tom Herman. This was a guy that started the season with a national championship contender at Houston, finished with four losses unranked. Why are we just ignoring that? Why are we just ignoring that? And, and because he's got ties to Urban Meyer and Ohio State and he's already in Texas, he's the perfect guy for Texas. I was like, I, I can't ignore the fact that he took a national championship contender at Houston, one of the rare group of five national championship contenders, and didn't even finish ranked. Why do we ignore that? And sure enough, that's the guy he was. That's who he really was. Yeah, and, and, and to prove to you how crazy the cycles are, there are people that still will bring up Herman's name in I know in coaching things. People, there's just this tendency to go, well, at this place he would be different, and, and maybe he would. I, well, yeah. I'll, I'll take, take you one step, step further. I remember calling you and saying, Ole Miss hired Hugh Freeze, the Arkansas State coach, Neil? Neil, come on, man. Tell me what is going on in Oxford. They're hiring Hugh Freeze? I know. So who knows, man? I mean, these, these things, there, there are guys that look like can't miss, and there are guys that look like, what the crap are you doing? Hired Hugh Freeze at a, in, a, in, a, in a cycle where uh, – they could have perhaps hired Kirby Smart. Yeah. He, was, he was at Alabama at the time. I know there was some interest. I talked to Kirby's dad about it. There was there was some interest. 
it's it's coaching searches can get weird because people yeah. lock in on somebody or they panic or um politics get involved like you said something takes a couple extra days and some booster puts the money in and stuff gets stuff gets weird it's a, that's why I, this weekend it's i guess it was what 3 2 years ago this weekend auburn and alabama were playing and uh, no, this was seventeen. This was four years ago. Got Ole Miss just goes through coaches, don't they? Four years ago, um, this game was being played, and I was under the understanding that uh, this was the year that Ole Miss had gone over there and they'd won the uh, Egg Bowl. The quarterback is it Fitzgerald broke his leg, and Breland, yep, Breland, sure. the, the Breland speaks wave meme. Um, they went over there and, and won the game, but I was told, hey. That's Matt's not getting the, the permanent gig, Matt Luke. And I had pretty good authority that Ole Miss was hiring Dave Doran at NC State. And suddenly that afternoon, I'm watching the Egg Bowl. I'm outside. I'm thinking I have – because we have all this Doran content ready to roll. And uh, I'm watching the Egg Bowl. I'm outside grilling and uh, having a couple of beers and enjoying a beautiful day in Oxford. And I start getting messages that – Hey, they're talking to Matt again. And it wasn't I wasn't mad because they were talking to Matt. I was mad because oh my god, it's all wrong. It changed. Yeah. And exactly that's what happened. Something changed. Local pressure got to the uh AD, not the AD, but the president at the time, the chancellor at the time, and uh he was embattled. He was trying to fight for his job, and so he thought, well, if I appease these local boosters, they'll fight for me in return and we'll all live happily ever after and that's not what happened, but that's how Matt Luke ultimately got the permanent job. And you know the rest of that story. Matt Luke never really had the full the full throated support of, of his administration or of the whole fan base. And he never got off the ground. And I'm telling you, Matt Luke had had a chance to be a good coach, but he never had a chance there. He would have been so much better off getting the South Alabama job or yep. a job yep. like that where he probably would have done really well. So, so going so going back to our initial discussion about this being a home or road series, so the last two at Starkville were that game that was the upset that got Matt Luke the job, and then the piss and miss game, right? That is correct. Both coaches fired. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. So it, it has been a coach maker or a coach breaker in Starkville mm-hmm. routinely, and then I guess in uh, in twenty. 18 state went to Oxford and won, and then Ole Miss won last yep. year in the COVID year. So, to answer your question about home field, not much. No, so, no, does it doesn't does appear to matter of late. Yeah, not, not really. It's just kind of a just a it's just an odd game. Fights yeah. and just it's a totally different game than the Iron Bowl. I've told people this. I don't yeah. know if you have ever been to an Egg Bowl in person. It's I'm a not, it's not. a totally different game than the Iron Bowl. And I've been to I don't know 12 Iron Bowls maybe, and it's a completely different feel to it. Both both are intense, but one one game has fear. The Iron Bowl to me always felt like fear. Like mm-hmm. Alabama did feared losing to Auburn. Auburn feared that feeling of losing to Alabama more than there was hate. There was more respect. The the Egg Bowl's hate. I mean, you feel yeah. that the hate you can kind of it's palpable. Yeah. Um, I don't have kept you too long. Uh, any any of the games this weekend strike you? There's no way the Egg Bowl's competitive, right? <laughs> I mean the, the Iron, Bowl, Iron Bowl. Iron Bowl. I'm sorry. The Egg Bowl will be competitive. 
Yeah, absolutely will be. I don't think so. You know, you look at uh, look at Auburn. They're starting DJ Finley, the LSU transfer with Bo Nix injury. They were down their best receiver going to South Carolina last week in Kobe Hudson. It's an offense that has been up and down even with Bo Nix in there. Now you got TJ Finley, who's not as good. You don't have playmakers at receiver. You've got a really average, if that, offensive line against Will Anderson, who's the best pass rusher in the country. And Bryce Young is just playing exceptional football right now. I mean, he's kind of carrying this offense because Alabama's down to one running back. They struggle to run anyway, but Bryce, Brian Robinson's all they got. So Bryce Young has got these two receivers, Jamison Williams and John Matthew, are playing their tails off right now. And, Those three guys uh, staved off a, a pretty good upset yes. from Arkansas. That was that, yeah, Arkansas I mean, was in that. Yeah, for, for the, the fans, fans that didn't watch, watch, I mean, Bryce Young set the single-season game passing record by a lot. The Alabama single-game passing record by a lot. And Alabama almost needed every one of those yards to win. I mean, normally if you see him do that against Arkansas, that's a 52-7 to game. This was a one-score game. And um, came down to an onside kick. So Alabama's defense, and that wasn't all on Alabama's defense. Arkansas faked this field goal for a touchdown. Alabama's defense. It's weird. You look at it, like I asked this question on our show this week because you just watched K.J. Jefferson look like he torched Alabama secondary. How many 300-yard uh, passing games has Alabama's defense given up? They've given up two all year. Is that right? Yeah, it's only two. And I think Alabama fans would think, oh, God, it's got to feel like five or six. It was Arkansas and Mississippi State. Oh, is that right? Okay. I was yeah. Gonna, yeah. Will Rogers threw for right at 300. And State had 299 total yards. So, I mean, that shows you kind of the game, the way that game played in Starkville. Can South Carolina pull it off against Clemson? Is there any chance at all? Just that's too much to ask, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because I feel like Clemson's actually rounding into shape a little bit right now. I watched some of that game against Wade, and they looked the best they've looked all year. Yeah, I think I think you take this game, let, let Carolina play the way they're playing right now, and take this game back a month, month and a half, the way Clemson was playing. This is a heck of a game. But I think Clemson's actually playing much better right now at the same time South Carolina is. I like Arkansas over Missouri. You agree? Um, depending on whether uh, what's his name plays. Yeah, Burks. yeah. I think I think I think. I don't know, man. Missouri. I mean, they've obviously played well enough to upset Florida. I like the way Arkansas has played of late. So yeah, I think I'll probably go Arkansas. But some of this now is Traylon Burks' health. He played that entire Alabama game injured and got a hard hit at the end by Will Anderson on that onside kick. So, so some, some of that depends, depends on his health. If he's out, that's a different game. But if he's there, he's maybe the best player in the Southeastern Conference. Okay, last thing. Um, you mentioned Bo Nix. Bo Nix was on your show this week, and he said that <laughs> Alabama gets calls. I can tell yeah. you that the people that listen to this, that watch this show, most of them believe that Alabama gets calls. They also think Auburn gets calls. Although Auburn got screwed uh, in, in Columbia on that weird punt play. Yeah. Just, they get mad at me, Ryan, because I say, look, the officiating's just bad. Uh, Hunter Juracek disagrees with me. He agrees with my people. He said Alabama got calls. He was frustrated about it. I think he thought that last touchdown pass for Alabama was would not have would not have been upheld had it been Arkansas that made that play. You're in the state. You you know these people. You listen to this. You had Bo Nix on your show. Kudos to you for getting that answer out of him. But <laughs> what was what were your thoughts, and then what was the overall reaction to what Bo Nick said? 
Well, the overall reaction is the vast majority of SEC fans saying they agree with Bo and Alabama fans saying he's out of his mind. And then Alabama fans do clap back with, for instance, the Auburn-Arkansas game last year, where Bo Nix himself takes the ball, turns around, spikes it behind him to stop the clock, which should have been a fumble. The SEC officials blew it, and it cost Arkansas the game. Uh, and Auburn fans, are, are, everybody points to that and says, you you yourself got that. And then the Ole Miss game last year, you remember this, Neil. They're in Oxford um, on, the, on the kickoff. Yeah. You know, so it's not as if Auburn hasn't gotten calls. Um, and I think that's what frustrates a lot of people is it's like you forget that. So, so there are a couple things on this. Number one, I think most fans, I think anytime you add emotion to the situation, you lose objectivity in anything in life, right? Mm-hmm. Once emotion gets involved, there's no objectivity involved anymore. So you're making these declarations about officiating in the most emotional time for you, which is a Saturday football game for your favorite team. And your emotions are high. The crowd around you when you're at the game or watching with friends on TV, they think it's a bad call. You jump in line. So then it's a bad call to you. All right. So I think, you know, and that's one thing Bo said is if you look at it objectively, well, Bo can't look at it objectively. He's emotionally involved in this. So you lose objectivity at that point. So, so I do, don't, I do not think there's a lot of objectivity in saying so-and-so gets all the calls. You're, you're looking at that from an emotional standpoint. On top of that, if it ever came out that Greg Sankey or anyone at the SEC told officials, make sure you take care of Alabama, he, could, he might go to jail for that. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a serious allegation. That isn't just the conference is looking out for Alabama. That is, the conference is actively fixing games, basically. Do you think there's a possibility, and this is what people kick back at me, and I'm going to tell you right now, I don't. Do you think there's a possibility that there are rogue officials who have some sort of an inherent bias that comes out in, in games? I, I think if you watch college basketball, does Duke get the calls? Does Kentucky get the calls? Yeah, they do. Why? A lot of times because in college basketball because a lot of home. I think that's a little different. It's expectation bias. Yeah, it is. And it's like, this is the better team. Did they really commit that foul? They're the better team. And most of the time when Alabama plays, they're the better team right now. Um, the other thing I would say is, is that we are now asking officials to make more calls than they've ever had to make. And most of them are judgment calls, targeting or not targeting, right? That's a judgment call. The players are faster and more athletic than they've ever been. And you at home and those you know, replays in the stadium, we're getting a better look at it than we've ever gotten, ever. I mean, the calls that get missed now are, you know, you didn't even get a good replay in the 80s to know or the 90s to know it was a missed call. Now, I'll give you one more thing, and this is always uh, – one of my listeners brought this up a long time ago, and I've always thought about this. Why do we – Go, go to, to replay. replay. For instance, you mentioned the Jamison Williams touchdown catch. catch. That, that was ruled a touchdown on the field. It had to be 100% uncontrovertible evidence to overturn it. Why do we go to replay that way? Why do we not go to replay saying, hey, we're going to replay because we don't know if we got the call right or not. Let's go look at it and see if it's the right call. Let's just make the right call. Yeah. And then maybe it's like a civil jury. If it's 51 to 49, we, we say, say it's a touchdown, touchdown right? Or if it's 60-40, whatever we say, I don't, I don't know how you would make that a determination. But why do we go, assuming we got the call right, unless there is 100% evidence we got it wrong? And I think why, that's, why do we operate that way? I think that's what Hunter Juracek's basic point was, was 
he didn't express it right because, to your point, he was emotional. But had he had a chance to sit down and make the point more eloquently, I think what he was yeah. trying to say was that play, had it been ruled incomplete on the field, would have been incomplete. I would agree 100% with that. And yep. because of that, that ended up changing the game because Alabama would have punted. Because yes. of because of third down. Yeah. Yep. Because of that, we're doing replay wrong. And I think had he come out and said that, like what you just said, I think a lot of people would go, all right, you know what? You might be on to something here. Let's just get it right. Let's not worry yeah. about what got called. Let's just get it right. And But I'm with you. I do think – I think the job is much harder than people realize it, it to be, and it gets right. harder all the time. Hey, and I'm, I'm not, not saying officiating is great. Yeah, I, don't I don't think it's great. great. Well, no, it's I do bad. Think there, are re- there are reasons it's not great. Right. That's, that's my point. Is My, my point yeah. is the, the job gets harder. The officials actually keep getting older, uh, so they get worse. And, yeah. and with TV, it, you, it gets more exposed. I, I think there's a general incompetence. I don't think it's, I don't think it's intentional is my point. Yeah. That's where yeah, a, lot of people, a lot of people disagree with me, but that's okay. Hey, listen, uh, thank you for doing this all season. We'll get you one more time during the bowl season. Yep. But uh, appreciate you doing it. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family and um, to everybody there at the next round. Please tell Lance and Jim and everyone I extended my uh, my wishes for a happy uh, Thanksgiving. Well, the same to you and, uh, and the family, and you're a good friend. I always appreciate it. I love our talks each week, and I love doing this for most football season. And I hate it that this is our, our last regular season one anyway. All right, Ryan, I appreciate you as always, buddy. All right, thank you, Neil. That was my good friend Ryan Brown from uh, the next round in Birmingham. Been so excited for those guys over the course of the season as they uh, let their radio contract expire and they started their own venture. I talked to Ryan about it so many times over the last year or so, and their success has been kind of what I expected, actually. I think it surprised him. It hasn't surprised me at all. Uh, We're also brought to you by Pinpoint Commercial Real Estate based out of Jackson. They service the entire state in all commercial asset classes such as retail, office, industrial, and land. If you want to learn more about some of their great opportunities uh, for your professional office space, go uh, give Sam Cox, B.B. Mitchell a call, 601-586-3220. Also brought to you by Lamons Fine Jewelry in Oxford. Lamons at 1126 North Lamar Boulevard in Oxford. They've been serving the Oxford area for more than 75 years. They're the gold standard in fine jewelry. It's LamonsFineJewelry.com, 662-234-2777. Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioner and Heating, two different names, but the same great products and services in Oxford, Tupelo, or the surrounding area. It's Comer that you should call, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, Memphis, or that surrounding area, you should call uh, the people at Southern, 662-429-4429. The College Corners, your one-stop Rebel Shop. Two locations in the Jackson area, one in Ridgeland, one in Flowood. You can also go to collegecornerstore.com. Plus, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. If you're looking for some financial um, advice, I would recommend getting in touch with the people at Pinnacle there in Madison, Mississippi. It's mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N wealth.com. And brought to you by my friend John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. If you're thinking about travel, you need to get in touch with John. It's kind of complicated these days, but there's still lots of opportunities available. Get in touch with John. Give him some parameters and a budget. He'll give you options. 901-494-3387 or Edwards at regencytravel.net. And we're brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, that's the place to go. It's Grenada Nissan. 
Uh, right off Interstate 55 in Grenada, Mississippi, they've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. Earlier today, I talked uh, coaching uh, carousel and uh, Ole Miss Mississippi State and more with my buddy Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 ESPN in Memphis. Again, keep in mind this was earlier today. Some things seem to have fleshed out a little bit over the course uh, of the day, but it's still a really interesting conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. Here's Jeffrey Wright on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Jeffrey Wright of 92.9 ESPN in Memphis. You'll see him in just a moment. He's fixing his screen and such because he has to go hit a button. We're taping this via Zoom. I have to accept your – I have to uh, – I am acknowledging that if anything uh, – any, I'm being recorded, so this can be used in the court of law is my understanding. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I can't get anybody else to freaking acknowledge or answer a question when I send them a question. And yet I can get you to do it right there on screen for me. So it says something, it says something about our friendship, I think. Yes. All right. We got, I want to, we're going to get to the carousel because I think the carousel is really fascinating. And I think it could start Saturday, Sunday, but there is a game Thursday night that people are pretty interested in Ole Miss, Mississippi state in Starkville. Uh, the rebels, obviously with the win, go to 10 and two, they wrap up a new year's six bowl game, whether it's new Orleans or Atlanta or Tempe, I mean, not Tempe, but I guess, where's that now? It's Glendale, Glendale, Glendale. Big toaster. it's right. So they'd go to one of those three places in all likelihood. And, uh, that's a big deal. It would be a major accomplishment. They would move up to, I would guess around sixth in the national polls heading into championship week. And it would be a really big deal. A loss, um, a loss would hurt. I think anybody who pretends that a loss wouldn't hurt is kidding themselves. A loss to Mississippi State hurts. I think it probably knocks you out of the New Year's Six stuff. It Maybe it leaves you in it. I don't know. Honestly, I don't really care. It's not that big of a topic to me if they lose. It's like I know it will be to other people, but it, it'll be coming off a loss. And when you come off a loss in the Egg Bowl, the bowl's not quite as sweet as when you come off a win in the Egg Bowl. No, I totally agree. You know, you think back to all of the great seasons. I don't remember. Not, you were in college in 92, right? I was. No, well, yeah. I, I graduated in May of 92. Yeah. No, they won that Egg Bowl because that's, that the, that's the goal line stand. I think, I think that was the one. But, you know. That was, that was the 92 season because, yes, I was in Monroe at the time. Yeah. So, I thought there was an interesting comment from our from our dear beloved uh, Houston Nut, and he had mentioned how no one really cared about the second Cotton Bowl, mm-hmm. and I can confirm. Now, granted, you were covering it. That's one of the ten worst football games I've ever like ever watched. That that was just a horrific football game. Oh, but, Jeffrey, the difference between the 08 Cotton Bowl. And the 09 Cotton Bowl. Um, and you know, and you think about it, the 08 was played at the old Cotton Bowl. Yep. The and 09 this- was played in brand new state of the yard at the time. Holy cow, this place is amazing, Jerry World. Yes. And the the two fields were completely different. Now, I've also I wonder how much of that had to do with losing in Starful. And you know, that was also Mullen's first year and Mullen had started the antagonizing and 
And so there's a big element of that. It was this weird reality, though. Now, I think another problem with that bowl game was after they had beaten LSU, they were headed to the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. They were going and at to the time, the Citrus Bowl was a clear notch above the Cotton Bowl. And then that loss knocked them back to the Cotton Bowl. And so I think there were multiple things that went into it. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, this a win, is a win in Starkville that day. They were going to play Penn State in the Cotton Bowl on New Year's Day, and, and people were geeked up about it. And, and it's, yeah. a, it's revisionist history. and No one does it, but a few people did at the time Well, because it poured down rain that day in Orlando. And and it's like, well, it would have been it would have been a crappy game or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. It would have been it would have been a really cool. Yeah, that's that day. The field. I think that's when they went to the field turf because after remember they had grass at the old yeah. Citrus Bowl. It just tore and and they just tore it up. But I mean, you're you're 100 percent right. There was this element of you know kind of a letdown, and that season was kind of a season of letdowns in the way that it was. But you're 100 percent right. The way that They'd kind of gotten their footing again. You know, they, they beat the crap out of Tennessee. They had the wild LSU game. If they could have gotten to nine and three that year, who knows? You still could have, you still could have said better situation. I don't know. This one's a little different to me in the sense that, that there is also an element of that Mississippi State team, I think, was four and seven heading into that day. And I think they finished five and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the news that day in Starkville that morning was that Cam Newton was there for a visit. Yeah, and I'm, 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 I would. Did he come with poker chips or, or? I remember they... walking past him. I remember. Here's what I remember about that morning. It's so funny. Um, I, w- I was down on the field before the game, and Chris Vaughn, yep, who's uh, whose son, by the way, has had a terrific. Yeah, shout outs to Deuce. Yeah, I'm so excited. I, every time Kansas State plays, like I see him making a play. Uh, he's he's electric too. He's, he's also just like a fun. He's a fun running back because uh-huh. you know he's not the biggest, but he's lightning quick. He's he's kind of a clustery. Yeah. Anyway, Chris walked over and said, "You seen uh, Cam Newton?" And I looked over and so point pointed him out to me. It was a lot of people down on the field, and Cam Newton stuck out because he was a big, physical looking yeah. guy. And I said, "That's a quarterback." And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he's unbelievable. And uh, anyway, I remember after the game or near the end of the game going down to the field and walking over to the Ole Miss sideline, and I passed by Cam Newton, who's ringing a cowbell. Yeah, I was going to say, I know there's there's pictures out there of ringing the bells. And, I mean, let's be real, until, until Auburn got the deal done, he was going to Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big day. That was a at the time it felt like a big sea change. State was landing this big time quarterback, and they beat Ole Miss. and And Mullen took the mic and said, it, "We're never going to lose to him," or whatever he said. That the "we're never going to lose to him" was in the locker room in Oxford. That one though, I don't. I, he got on the mic. I I don't think. Yeah, he just said he said we're something along the lines of of. We're not gonna. We're not gonna be a pushover. We're. We're. This is. Big. I think that. Was, I believe, if I recall correctly, that was the. This is our state, and I think that was the beginning of the. This is our state. Oh, okay. I think that was that one. We're never gonna lose to him again. Was in Oxford. Dan's that a was solely. Yeah. He's a terrific troll, but that was to me, and I've said this before. That was the very beginning of the end of Houston Nut. No, I. I think. I think that is the end, because the Jacksonville State game is the is the next year. And 
you know, if that team didn't have Jeremiah Masoli, holy hell. I mean, that what, team, yeah. And, and you know, boy, the parallels are amazing, aren't they? It, it's, uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's something that if they lose on, on Thursday night, Lane Kiffin's got, got, got to learn a history lesson and he doesn't seem to like history lessons. He, he's, he's going to have to learn a history lesson that, Hey, you're going to have to get engaged. You're going to have to hit this. If, if you're planning to stay and you're planning to either make this a destination or you're planning to use this as a springboard, you've, you better get invested. You better go win some recruiting battles. You better dig in. This is not, this is not a, um, a, a recliner job. This is not a job where you can just do sit back and help Jeffrey. I'm not sure those exist anymore, but this is not a job where the players just come to you. You got to go get them. You and 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 you can't constantly lean on the transfer portal. In my opinion, it's too risky. Everyone's in it. I could be wrong, and I'll openly tell you that I could be wrong. That it might be the beginning of a completely new day. And and I've had this. I've talked. Not, not even. A, it's not even a, a, a debate or an argument. But I've talked to some coaches that I know at different levels. And we've talked about the transfer portal and they all have the same general thought, which is, I don't know what it's going to be, but yeah, they're, all so like, it, they're all like, but we still got to recruit whatever. Yeah, it is. It is this fascinating question because like you, my suspicion is you're still going to have to build your roster with high school kids and the elite level high school kids. And my my gut tells me using the portal properly is to build holes. Maybe you missed on some kids. Maybe, maybe you yourself had a little bit of attrition, and so you're thin at some spots, and you use it to fill holes. And I, I think if you made me guess, that is probably the best way to do it. But I, hand up, I'm not, I'm not willing to go out and say you still have to do it a certain way. Because the truth is, I really don't know. Because I, I was having a conversation with Blake Topmeyer last night, who writes for uh, USA Today about the SEC. Blake's a good guy, by the way. You should get him on the show. Um, we, we were having this debate. And it really wasn't a debate. It was more of a, a discussion of, I proposed, what if, what if the transfer portal... And the team that commits to the transfer portal, the school that becomes transfer portal U, what if it's the same thing as the school that in the 90s, and I'm picking the 90s in specific, or specifically, that was the JUCO school? And the reason why I say the 90s is, forget the, the Kansas and California JUCOs. I, I, I can get into a whole discussion of why they're a different animal, but they are. They're a completely different animal. In the 90s, you couldn't get everyone in. And so the JUCOs did have real talent. Mm -hmm. Well, as football became more and more important, you started to see a little thing spring up at SEC schools. It was the physical education major. And all of a sudden, yep. everyone started figuring out how to get these kids in. And so then it truly did become, in the last 15 years, if you are at JUCO, you are most at likely at JUCO for a reason. I say this as the son of a JUCO graduate. I don't know. Are you a graduate? If you, yeah, you, 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 you I don't do. know. You get an associate's degree. Yeah. What up, Boonville? Um, 
And so I do have this thought of, well, maybe you can do it this way because Blake's point was he assumed Kiffin was leaving simply because, as you've pointed out on, on your show numerous times, when you have all these things that Ole Miss has going, uh, the opportunity for a 10-win season, a top-10 ranking, um, you know, massive wins, you would expect the recruiting. I'm not saying that you're sitting there and saying, move over Alabama, move over Georgia, but you would expect the recruiting rankings to be very high. And I had to explain to him, well, this takes a little context because you do have to understand they're in a weird numbers crunch. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they don't have. I wasn't dismissing the idea. I'm just saying, like, I wasn't dismissing the idea that the recruiting ranking is kind of the, the number one tell. You know, if you're, you know, I was like, it could end up being, you know, a red herring. And it could end up just being a detail that exists and doesn't really tell us anything one way or the other. But that's kind of the weird aspect of right now. And I guess maybe it makes some people uncomfortable. And there's no question, I think, a lot of college football fans are used to saying, like, when it's going well, we should be recruiting well. And I just think that it is this weird day and age in that we're still in this we're in this period where we don't know what it is. We don't know what it isn't. I mean, I would kind of liken it to something that you and I have talked a lot about in our jobs. The world was heading towards video conferencing and more Zoom and, and whatnot. The pandemic sped it up. But as you and I can attest, the technology is good, but it's not, it's not broadcast level like some people want to promote. It's still, we're still in the infancy here, and we're still trying to figure it out. You know, 15 years from now, I imagine it's, it's going to be much more normal, but we still don't really know one way or the other. And I think the reason why you're right this year that I just don't think you can be the portal team, it does feel like this coaching carousel is going to get going. And now with the early signing period, the only way to put any type of class together. Your transition class is always your worst class anyway, but the only way to kind of band-aid it is everyone's going to go into the portal. Everybody. And I think, and I think it's going to be just like, you know, I made, the, I made the joke. It feels like there's going to be a lot of overpriced and expensive meh coaches this coming year. Well, that's going to be a supply and demand issue, and I think the same is going to be true in the portal. There's going to be a lot of kids in the portal, but everybody's going to be going after them, and there's not not a lot of NFL talent in the portal. I mean, um, well, there's going to be some, but... I was talking to somebody, Jeffrey, about LSU, and they said, you know, LSU's not worried about the recruiting right now. I said, what do you mean? Not worried about it. They think whoever they get can jump into the portal and get 8, 10, 12 guys, if, if necessary, and get them in, fill the gaps, Get rolling. That's what they think. I mean, are they wrong? I don't know. Again, I mean, I tell people all the time. When people, I mean, it's in fairness to them, you've got Ed as a lame duck, and they're still, I think, seventh. Now, I assume they're going to lose some guys, and they'll probably, maybe the new staff will come in, and the, and the old staff was higher on a kid than they will be, and there will be some drops and whatnot, but they don't have a football coach 
and they still have a top 10 class. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't want that to be a, a pointing of the finger or anything. I want that to be an acknowledgement of, okay, I'm not saying the job recruits itself, but there's a reason why it's job number one, in my opinion, on the board. All right, we're going to get to that in a second. Let's, let's touch this game real quick, and then I want to get into the carousel. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, who do you like? I, I think I'm going to just stick with my gut. I think I'm going with Ole Miss. And I think these two teams are very similar. And, you know, I've looked for, okay, trends. I started watching some games of, in my mind, you know, I've, I've always been a pretty big leech guy. So I know games where they've gotten stifled and I started watching back some games and seeing, okay, well, what do certain teams do? Because I find it funny that last year, the prevailing narrative was, well, you just got to drop three and rush or you, you you rush three and drop eight. Well, and then now this year, because Rogers is better because that's kind of the way this offense works. It's a reps offense. Well, now a lot of people are doing that and everyone's like, well, no, you got to pressure him. You got to pressure him. Here's how you got to beat them. Uh, Rush as few as you can and get pressure on him. I I feel pretty confident in saying that. I also think that could probably stop every offense on the planet. Um, If you don't have to rush very much and you can get pressure, the, the reason why I point that out. So really what it boils down to, the commonality that I saw was the air raid is similar to kind of what I played in in high school. And... I'll tell you what gives an air raid quarterback problems. If I look out there, it's, it's not all that dissimilar to running the option in which, okay, you get up pre-snap and you're counting. And if you get a certain look, it's going to be an automatic run. If you get a certain look, it tells you you're working this side of the field. You're working that side of the field screens, whatnot. But what confuses an air raid quarterback is disguising and really what it is is you got to screw with my number counting in the secondary it needs to be a situation where i read cover two and really it was cover four or i read cover three and it was really cover two or it was really cover four you have to you have to kind of rotate that way and i think Ole miss has actually been doing a lot of that this year with that being said it's still not a foolproof formula if he comes out and, you know, Ole Miss doesn't tackle well. It's, I do laugh when everyone used to say, like, uh, Leach's philosophy on this offense is it is something that's supposed to work for everything. And that's true. And everyone's kind of laughed at him. And one thing that I thought that Kiffin said yesterday that I, I just never thought this thing was going to be as big of a joke as some people wanted it to be because, you know, Kiffin's mentioned how many guys don't evolve. And when you don't evolve, you get left behind. You know, Gus didn't evolve. He got left behind. Like, you know, Bear Bryant didn't want to, once he got to the wishbone, like he didn't really want to change. And he went to the aisle a little bit. But it's like, if you don't evolve, you get left behind. This offense is the same thing that we've seen ever since freaking Valdosta. We saw it with Kentucky. We saw it with Texas Tech. Oklahoma ran at their national title year. Washington State. Like, I mean, for God's sakes, the number one team in the NFL right now runs the air raid. 
Like, I know. It, people wanted it to be a joke, and the reality is a lot of people forget the Ole Miss fans. I understand that. That that I get. That's That's your rival, and you want that to fail. I get that. There's a lot of people that didn't want it to work because he's a conservative. And they want him to be a joke because of a point of view on politics. Yep. And yep. that is so insane to me. Like, that's just so stupid. <laughs> You're right. I've never, said, I mean, I've never said it out loud, but when people are like, why do people hate Mike Leach? I'm like, because he's conservative. Yeah, that's it. It's why the media hates him. I, you know, I mean, there are plenty of, like, I don't know if I think, I think Craig James hates him because he didn't play his douchebag of a kid. Um, you know, that was the ultimate apple didn't fall far from the tree. I mean, I am surprised that people haven't gone all in on Leach about are you vaccinated or not? Maybe they have and I've missed it, but. I think it's twofold. I think one, um, he's a lot smarter than a lot of people asking questions. Well, he's got a law degree. Uh, from a very prestigious university. ULM? Pepperdine. Oh, okay. Yeah, close. Yeah. Not a lot. I can tell you this. Not a lot of BYU Pepperdine uh, slashes in my experience. Uh, Big difference between the Church of Christ and the Mormons. But uh, (laughs) indeed, he has that. So, you know, I think these two teams are similar. I think it's Matt Corral's last game. And I just find it really hard to believe that this isn't going to be a leave it all on the field. And, you know, I know. So obviously we had a little technical issue. Jeffrey's coming back. Last thing that we heard Jeffrey say was he he didn't think this was going to be a game where Matt Corral, um, left anything he was going to leave it all out on the field and i completely agree with you by the way otherwise i would i would look at this and go this is a big trouble spot for ole miss i actually think this is going to be a great game because i think matt corral it's my prediction matt corral plays one of his best games ever in an ole miss uniform yeah i mean i i feel that too because you know a lot of this season i feel like for ole miss you can define it by just get through it you know, it certainly didn't, things did not go perfectly. I mean, you know, you had stressed from, we can't call it fall camp. What do we have to call it? Preseason camp? Uh, preseason camp is what I call it now. I no longer refer to it as fall. I will never do it again. It's preseason camp. Preseason camp. Okay. So, you know, they had talked about wanting to have the best group of three receivers. Well, every single one of those receivers has been hurt at, at you know, that hasn't gone well. You lose one of your offensive linemen that was probably your glue guy, the guy that had played the most snaps and whatnot. Matt has clearly been dinged up all year. Um, you know, things haven't gone right, but it was kind of like survive it. Just get through it. Get through it. And, you know, it wasn't perfect, but I think they've gotten through it, and now they've gotten to this game, and – you know, I just think that the way that football is now, it's like the regular season is kind of the end. And so I just think that everyone knows that this is the last game. And I think they're going to play extremely hard. Now, it doesn't mean I don't think the other side is going to play extremely hard. I did look this up and I thought it was a little interesting. 
Mississippi State, when favored at home, one and five against the number. They're just three and three straight up. So, you know, I don't know. I kind of think it's hovering right now at one or one and a half. I can't remember. I think it's it. You could tell me more people are going to end up betting on Ole Miss, but I don't know. Like I, if you want, if you want some brilliant insight, I I hope everybody's sitting down for this. And Mississippi State's four losses, they've turned the ball over. They've lost the turnover battle. Yep. And you know the reason why they're clicking and playing really well right now, they're not turning the ball over. They didn't even turn it over against Arkansas, but they missed what three field goals or had one turnover in that game because because Morgan intercepted a pass. Oh, that's right. Yeah, one. But, uh, they, but it was even. It was an even turnover because yeah. uh, yeah. Arkansas turned it over once as well. So, you know, Ole Miss for the most part's taking care of the football this year. They've had a pretty good turnover margin. Does that mean that that's going to hold true in one game? No, but I mean, for you're asking me what I expect, I. I think I trust Ole Miss to take care of the ball more than I trust Mississippi State to take care of it right now. Yeah, I like Ole Miss in a very close game. I think that's going to be my pick on Thursday morning is Ole Miss in a very, very close game. I think it's going to be a great game. I really do. I think it's going to be a classic. Um, if you told me that it's not close, I'd go Mississippi State. If, if, if the football gods came down and said it's not a close game, I'd say, oh, State won big. I think I would go Ole Miss. If you really? Told me it was- Blowout yeah. because I think Ole Miss is more balanced. Yeah, my concern with Ole Miss is just that the the inability to to hashtag score from far lately, yeah, uh, has created red zone issues. And in red zone issues, State's defensive line is better than Ole Miss's offensive line. And no so, question on that. so I worry about red zone getting bogged down again. Well, Miss, told what, me, what made Ole Miss so dangerous was the and it's it's the hashtag. It's the whole score from far. Their ability to quick strike you is what made them dangerous. Yeah, the, the blitzkrieg element. I if you tell me blowout though, it implies to me. If you tell me blowout it implies to me turnovers, and I think that they're more turnover prone. And so that's the only reason why I said if it was a blowout. But it, I mean, you could tell me that Mississippi State is very physical. And what has given Ole Miss problems at times are very physical teams. And, yeah, I mean, I, I can buy that. But, I mean, I don't – unless you have inside information, I don't know how you could feel strongly about this is the way that this game's going to go. Oh, no, no. No way. Could go a lot like, of different ways. I mean, All to right. me, like, I had a pretty good – like, I felt strongly about how that game was going to go last week. I did it too. went a little lesser than I – Thought I thought Ole Miss would score a little bit more, but if you would have told me Vanderbilt was going to have the ball for forty-five minutes, I could have said, "Yeah, it'll be a two-touchdown game that totals in the 40s. Yeah, I mean Clark had a good plan, and they they executed it, and and um, you know it didn't it, it wasn't enough because they don't have enough players, but yeah, uh, you know they had a, they had a good idea. They had a good they, again the other team the other team prepares. They get too. to play. Yeah, they get to play too. Yeah. All right, let's get into the carousel because to me the carousel gets really interesting starting on on potentially Saturday. Uh, LSU. We, I, you you and I are in agreement. The carousel, we do not start the play clock, if you will, until someone from a sitting job takes another job. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
is like, I don't think like the Florida job coming up, like that doesn't start the carousel. No, like no, it doesn't no. start until someone from a sitting job, because what really spins then is, okay, well, what if the Penn, if the Penn State coach takes the Florida job or the Oregon coach takes the Florida job? Or, like I need it to be more come, things come open that were unexpected because sitting coaches were leaving. Yeah, so a couple of things that I'm watching for. I'm obviously watching at the at the high level. I'm watching to see what happens with LSU right off the bat. LSU plays Texas A&M Saturday night. Ed Orgeron's already out. He's not going to coach the bowl game. He's not going to be in the way. I mean, he's going to – I would suspect his office is cleaned out by the time you watch this. He's gone. So LSU uh, – it, it depends on who you listen to. I don't think LSU can get Jimbo Fisher. And so when people say, well, LSU's going to make a run at Jimbo Fisher – Understand that could literally mean just a phone call between two between two good friends where Scott Woodward calls Jimbo Fisher and says, Hey, look, I'm about to do something. Just before I do it, do you want this job? Right. And, and, and I you think know, put to put it in entertainment terms, the right of first refusal. And I think Jimbo's basically already said, Look, I'm happy here. Thanks. In a different world, we would have worked out. It's kind of star-crossed lovers a little bit. In a different world, this would have been great. We would have had perfect, but you know what? I'm I'm kind of tied in here. I'm I'm locked up, and they've been good to me, and I need to stay here. And then I do much, believe I do believe. How much do you think? I, I want to ask you this: How much do you believe? I think the fact that Jimbo already has his title at Florida State. Yeah, sure. I think that makes him more likely to stay at a And M. And I'm not saying yeah. that because oh, he's coasting. No, no, I think the, I think he knows I've got a really good gig. It's a they great pay me, gig. They pay, they pay me money, really well. Lots of resources. Um, they you can recruit really high there. They're doing it. He's got a big time class coming in. And yet, deep down, deep down, here's what's interesting. Yeah, is it kind of culty and weird? Yeah, are the people really nice? They really are. Like the Texas A and M media that I deal with are the nicest people. No, I mean, and also. You know, we talked about it last week. Expectation there is not. That's where I was going. Championship. If he goes nine and three. 90% of the fan base is is basically happy. And especially if he does it where when he's asked about the LSU job, he says, look, I love it here. I love everybody. I love all these things. Yeah, I, I loved LSU. I had a great time there. It's a great job, but I've got a great, I've got the best job and, and I'd be a fool to do what he gave them all of the positive affirmation that they wanted and they yep. love him for it. It's a great job. It is. Yeah. It's the North Korean band and the male cheerleaders and all that crap's fine, whatever. But from a, the Nazi band, but yeah. from a job standpoint, it's a great job because he could never win the national title there and stay there for another 10 years and make a hundred million dollars and hang out on his ranches. And they're going to support his stuff. They're not going to throw stuff at him. They're a calm fan base. He knows what LSU is. If LSU, if he were to take the LSU job and take 12, 13 million or whatever. Yeah. It'd be great. Woohoo. Awesome. But they expect national championships like within 24 months. Well, I mean, you know, Everyone points out, myself included, the last three coaches have won national titles, two of which are probably blithering idiots. I mean, I'm talking far side, left side of the bell curve idiots. Yeah. Those two, the last two also got fired. Yeah. Like, like yeah. there, you know, 
with with Jimbo, I mean, there's an argument that he has turned Texas A&M into rich man's Kentucky in that very rich man's exactly the rich, you know, Buffett rich. Yeah. I mean, like a, a, a house in the Hamptons and a, and a yeah. house in, in Manhattan Beach. And yeah. But what I'm talking about in terms of it's he's he's able to meet their expectations and keep them happy. And he continues to get extensions and raises. That's a pretty good job. Oh, it's a great job. I, I don't think he's I don't think there's any chance that he leaves. I, I think LSU knows it. Which now, leads, leads into the next thing, right? Which is yeah. this Lincoln Riley rumor that won't go away. And and the potential because Oklahoma plays Oklahoma State on Saturday. If Oklahoma wins, they're in the Big Twelve title game. That would allow Lincoln Riley to kick the can down the road. That's people say, what are the games you're watching Saturday? Bedlam is a big one. Uh, because if Oklahoma State wins, Lincoln Riley's on the clock Sunday morning. You don't think he's worried about bowl prep? <laughs> no. No, I, I, frankly, I'm curious to see what happens if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State. It would let him kick the can down the road, which creates this interesting scenario where LSU goes, we're going to wait for an answer. We're going to wait for an answer. We'll wait a week. And then Florida goes, well, do we wait a week? Do we go try to get Napier now? And if Florida goes after Napier right then, does LSU go, hey, Lincoln, dude, I get it that you guys play a game on, on Saturday. I, I mean, I don't give a damn, but you play a game. But we we can't let Napier get out of here without you giving us an answer. And if that if Lincoln Riley won't give him an answer, does LSU hit the panic button and go, all right, we'll offer it to Billy Napier. That's where the, the, the thing's got a chance to get convoluted next week, in my opinion, in that scenario. Now, if... It's also got a chance to go super clean. Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley goes, screw it. You're really going to give me $12 million to come coach? I, I'm in. And then they get their guy, and then Florida goes, okay, we want, we want Napier because I do think they want Napier at this point. I think it's the reason Florida acted early. And then Okay, because I want to go to that. I'm, I'm not so sourced on this that I think it's – a hundred percent. And neither am I, by the way. And I've told people. But I, I'm telling you this. This is where I have. I think something clearly happened Saturday night beyond Florida losing and looking lifeless in that game. Like, so to me, there's only three outcomes. You, you mean that to make tell you sense. What, Can I tell you what I heard? Go for it. I heard when they sat down last week and talked to Dan Mullen. Scott's known Dan a long time, Scott Strickland. I think he asked him a question, and his words said one thing, and his eyes and his body said another. And I think they said, you know what? This is going to go badly next year. Let's end it. Let's end it with everybody having some dignity. Let's just end it. And I could be wrong, but I do. I think it was let's get done, and we've got to get in this thing right now, and I don't want to do it where I'm having to go behind my friend's back. So here, here's your money. Take the week off. Go Go get well, relax. We'll finish the season. We don't really give a damn what happens in this game. Takes the pressure off that game. Takes the media attention off that game. And it lets Scott go start talking to people without worrying about Dan finding out. Correct. So I can buy that. But I also think 
Scott at that point had a pretty good idea of the landscape. I, I think that that's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you pull that trigger if you didn't feel pretty good about the landscape. Now, could it be just as simple as I'm the AD at Florida. I'm offering the Florida job. I feel okay about the landscape. And, the, and maybe that's the reality. I don't know. But it seems likely to me there was a trigger event. The only three trigger events that I could see, Franklin started putting out, you know, maybe not USC, but be interested in Florida. I also think there's an issue with Franklin, the fact that their season has just been kind of meh. It hasn't been bad. It hasn't been a train wreck. It's just been meh. Well, I've heard a completely different name at USC in the last 24, 48 hours. That's not other than Aranda. Other than Aranda. I've heard Luke Fickle at USC. Well, I mean, that's I keep wondering, though, if that's just the people doing the logical thing of bones at Cincinnati. And I, I, I have my I doubt. I don't know. Cristobal losing. To your point, kicking the can down the road. Once, once Oregon lost on Saturday, everything they're playing for is gone. You want to hear a rumor at Oregon? Here's your Oregon rumor. And listen, people, please hear the word rumor. I mean, people say, give me the rumors. I always, I always love this. Actually, it frustrates the hell out of me. Hey, we want you to tell us rumors. Just tell us it's a rumor. And then you tell them it's a rumor. It's a rumor. It turns out to not be completely true or completely, or, or it's not true at all and then they scream at you well you reported i'm telling you this is a room no. i'm not sourced on all these people but i am talking to people who are plugged in the rumor is that oregon has essentially told cristobal look if your heart's not in it and you can get out clean we won't hold you to the buyout I, and what what and what stopped people from going after cristobal is right now it's a nine million dollar buyout that goes down to six and a half million on January the fifteenth ish. Yeah, it, it was a situation like Fuente, like Fuente at Virginia Tech. They they did the let's come together and instead of getting the low buyout, whatever the waiting for the buyout, they basically met in the middle and they did like net present value and they're like, okay, here's the check and like they're they're done and moving on. But I am really really struggling. And maybe I am dead wrong. I do not think this entire, I, I am really, I cannot get myself to believe this entire thing is being spun by Billy Napier. People love him, man. People absolutely love the guy. They, they do. They, they will tell you that of all of the safe. They've watched, okay. First they'll, off, they'll tell you, though, Jeffrey, hold on. They'll tell you that of all the Saban disciples, he's the one that is closest to Saban. Have they watched Lafayette games? Probably not. First off, he is not. You want to talk about game management? Not great. Secondly, everyone always does this recruit, you know, Let's look at the level he is. Is he recruiting above it? Okay. That's a completely different animal than going up and saying, I'm going to beat Kirby and I'm going to beat Nick. I'm going to beat Jimbo. I'm going to beat Ohio State. Like, it's just a. But you have, to under, you have to understand that Florida is freaked out about one word right now. No Florida. one. 
Yes. No one there, no one at Florida is going, hey, Dan Mullen is, is no longer a good coach. Everyone knows Dan's a good coach. Everyone knows Dan can develop quarterbacks for the most part. Everyone knows that Dan's a good offensive coach, that Dan's been pretty successful everywhere he's ever been. He had a really good run at Mississippi State, and he just less than one year ago, he was right there throwing punches with Alabama in the SEC title game. He beat Georgia last year. I mean, Dan did, multiple scores. Dan's not a bad coach. That's that's crap. But he's not a good recruiter right now. Maybe he was one day, but he's not now. He's getting smoked in recruiting, and Florida's freaked out about recruiting. And if, frankly, they probably should be. And they are they are looking at people and going, who can put together and run a recruiting machine? And that's what scares them off guys who are just football coaches. And I understand that. Because in the end, Dan Mullen, and this goes back to the beginning of the conversation. You could tell me that Mullen's plan was, we're getting in the portal. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, you could have told me that was their plan of how they were going to fix it. And, you know, like, two of the, two in my mind, two of the better stories this year in the SEC of overachieving are Ole Miss and Tennessee. Both were heavy portal schools. And both, both were not the big fish in the portal. I kind of credit both schools and both coaching staffs because they found guys that weren't like the slam dunks, like, oh, yeah, like, duh. Like, anyone can go recruit Jameson Williams. Like, you know, how good is that Ohio State Henry, receiver? Henry Toa Toa could have gone anywhere, right. How good's, how good's that receiving room in Ohio State? That guy left because he's like, I'm not playing. And, and, and that tells you all you need to know. But the guys that Tennessee did it with kind of like, to quote our, to quote our, uh, the wise Andrew Kennedy, the island of misfit toys, and they put it together and they've done a good job, but because of that, people still go and look at their recruiting rankings. And I'm not the guy that says they don't matter; they do. But at the same time, I think it also incited panic when I'm not certain it maybe will turn out 100%. It should have been panic. It should have been panic. It should have been panic. I just am not comfortable at this point saying you can't do it this way because I don't know that you can't do it this way. No, I've said the exact same thing. Like people, people do one of two things with me with Ole Miss. Like he's, he's recruiting really well, right? I'm like, no, he's recruiting terribly, right? I'm like, no, it's incomplete. I don't know what he's doing. It appears that they're going heavy on the portal. They went heavy on the portal last year and it worked. Chance Campbell, Orlando Amana, um, Jacour Pearson. I mean, they, a bunch of dudes that have really played for them and helped them. Um, now, can you do that again? You know, like I tell people all the time, look, Spencer Rattler can't go to six places right now. He can only go to one. And, you know, he, he could go with Lincoln Riley to LSU. He could stay at, at, at Oklahoma if Lincoln Riley takes, what's the kid's name, Thompson? Uh, Williams. Williams. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams could go to LSU with Lincoln. That's one of the rumors, too. And that um, – Spencer Rattler could stay at Oklahoma with whoever the new guy is and be the quarterback. Um, I mean, nobody knows whether even Spencer Rattler is actually going to get in the portal because as of this moment, he's not in the portal. Um, you know, is Miles Brennan coming into your campus and making a big difference? Is Miles Brennan going to replace Matt Corral and keep you where you were? I mean, there's nothing in, there's nothing to support that. 
he does have it. That's not true. He has experience replacing elite level quarterbacks and being kind of meh. Okay. So yeah. So yeah, I guess he replaced Burrow. So yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I can tell you that, that, uh, Florida's decision is about recruiting, whether it should or shouldn't be. It's, it's about recruiting. Right. And, uh, and I understand. I guess my point is if what you said is true about Oregon, I am going after Cristobal. So, so here's, so here's where everything could get held up for a week, right? Cause Oregon, you tell me Oregon, if they win the, the game against Oregon state, they, it's go, over. It's over. they win, the, they will be playing for another week. They'll play in play Vegas Utah again in the Pac-12 title game. So shout outs to the Pac-12 for always knowing how to screw themselves. So it, that could hold up a week, but if Oregon loses to Oregon state, correct. Cristobal's regular season is over and something could go down. I mean, there's yes. a chance that everything gets kicked down the road a week. There are some coaches out there who I'm told, and again, I could be wrong, but I am told some coaches out there have told their agents, hey, look, don't do an extension until after the championship week. Don't do any kind of contract talk until after the, 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 the championship week because this, the market might get totally reset. And if that's the case, next week's going to be just speculation week from hell. For fans who want concrete stuff, you're going to lose your mind if that happens. So you, if you're a fan who wants everything to roll and get done, you want, you're, you're cheering for Oklahoma State and Oregon State. Those are the two teams that you want to go ahead and knock it out because answers get done at that point. And is that yeah. true about Oregon? Would Oregon let Cristobal go to Florida with no buyout? I don't know. Then the other job that uh, our colleague with rivals, Gary Furman, reported last night that it's likely, I think was his word, that Miami's going to give Manny Diaz another year. I'll tell you that I talked to, to uh, Gary yesterday. The conversation was private, but I, I feel comfortable saying this. He said that kind of the buzz last week was more optimism from the Diaz camp, and he wondered if it was because someone at Miami had told him, hey, you're probably going to get another year. You're probably going to get another opportunity. And if that's the case and that job's not on the table, that's one of the places that if Mario Cristobal, if it were true that Mario Cristobal was going to be able to get out of his buyout or significantly lower his buyout, well, his deal with Miami becomes a completely different animal. Well, there's no question. And I mean, I don't actually have a problem believing the report because in the end, Miami made the decision to fire their AD. Not that it hasn't been done before, but typically what happens is you get the new AD and then that guy assesses the, you know, reads the room, assesses the situation. But not always, as you said, Ole Miss says hello. I mean, you know, Ole Miss said hello. They, well, that was almost a package deal though. Uh, that got, was, that got put down. Yeah. But it was Archie Manning and, and, uh, and, and Mike Glenn, Mike Glenn. who hired Hugh Freeze. Sure. They did. But you one know, of those guys did. Yeah. One of those guys. Yeah. But officially there was no AD at the time is my point. Correct. And so well, what I'm saying is official. I think there was about to be a package deal with an AD. I agree. And, and it, it got, it got bounced. Yes. And that got nixed. Yes. Yes. There's yeah. Yeah. I, we're on the exact same page. I just don't feel like going there right now, mm. but we're on the exact same page. I, I completely agree, but regardless it can be done. And so if you're, if you're Miami, right. I mean, 
one of the things I wonder is if you're Miami and, and, and I assume that Miami will beat Duke on Saturday and, uh, and finish the season seven and five, and they've got a really good quarterback. And if you're, if you're Miami and you're even thinking about it, right. Don't you want to make sure that either Mario Cristobal or Lane Kiffin, which are the two names that pop up in South Florida at all times, don't you want to make sure that one of them would absolutely say yes? I mean, you've talked, you've talked to them, you've talked to the agent, you've talked to everybody, and you've got an affirmative answer before you get rid of Manny, because Manny's not a bad coach. Yeah, well, and more importantly, it goes back to the original discussion of if you do not, I'm not saying deals can't fall through, but you better be getting on the plane, going to get your guy. Yeah, yeah, you don't. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's waiting. You know, like it better be that, because otherwise, what we're going to see, I think, and again, sometimes underwhelming hires can be can work. I mean, you know, the Sam Pittman hire nationally was not well respected. I think anyone that actually like listened to him and and heard and heard out Yurchek's thought process, I think you would have sat there and said, okay, like that's not the dumbest idea. And but but at the same time, to be a brilliant idea. Yeah, exactly. But you're going to wind up, you're going to wind up. Miami's right now is a one contract job. That's what it's been since Mm -hmm. Coker. It's a one contract job. So, so go ahead, go ahead finish your thought. Then I want to get, I I do want to, because I don't, we're kind of starting to run, run short of time. And I do want to get your thoughts on where the Kip and Miami stuff is coming from. All right. I mean, to me, you're just going to, if you do not, if you move on Diaz and you do not have the guy basically, you know, signed, I don't know, sign the memorandum of understanding. I don't know how you want to do it. Yeah. Then, then you're an idiot. Cause I think Manny would be on some people's list right away. I, I don't think he's a bad coach at all. He's a defense coach. And right now that's not what's in, but He's not done a terrible job at Miami. Now he's having a hard time getting recruiting traction, and that's where they're nervous. And so I don't know what to make of the reports that they're not going to do anything. Other yeah. than perhaps, perhaps they've looked down, they've gone down the path and gone, we can't afford Cristobal. We can't afford Kiffin. Maybe Mario and Lane both said, I don't want the job. I, I don't know. I have no idea. But something flipped in a few days which sometimes means it can flip right back if somebody takes d- decides to do something. I don't like kicks and giggles decides to, I don't know, maybe raise their leg in an incense celebration. Who knows? The one thing I'll say about this, and I said this on the Oxford Exxon podcast, so I won't belabor it. There's no, Lane Kiffin doesn't need another school for leverage. No. And so when people say, well, this is Jimmy Sexton, Listen, you can hate Jimmy if you want. That's fine. You can think Jimmy's the worst thing in the world for college football. That's fine. He's a damn good agent, and he's very smart. And Jimmy knows how to read the room. Jimmy knows that Lane doesn't need leverage at Ole Miss. The leverage is the winning. He doesn't need leverage. He can go to Keith Carter right now today and go, all right, give me X million for X years, and we want this, 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 and this, and they can start a contract negotiation. And they may have already done that. But the whole Miami stuff popping up, if anything, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeffrey, if anything, if I'm Jimmy Sexton, 
I don't want that stuff out there because it has the potential to mess up what you're trying to get done at Ole Miss. Yeah. So, in the so, end- so tell me if I'm wrong. When I see his name out there and people say, where do you think that's coming from? Frankly, my guess is it's coming from Lane. Yeah, I, I'm 100% in agreement with you. Um, yeah. Listen, Jimmy's job is also kind of to be the heat guy. You know, he's in the heat position. He is supposed, you know, the goal is to be mad at Jimmy, not at the coaches or what, you know, that's Jimmy's role. That's why he's paid handsomely. And, and, you know, but more importantly, Jimmy's trying to place his clients. And Ole Miss is a, I don't, I do not remember the last time a Jimmy Sexton client was not the Ole Miss coach. I mean, I don't. I guess I guess Brewer, but because I think Tubbs was right. Tubbs was. So Tubbs cut definitely was. Uh, was. I think Orgeron was, but I'm not. I know he's not right now, but so I don't remember if he was then. Uh, Houston definitely was. Hugh was. Matt was. Mm -hmm. Lane. Yeah. So, and for the record, everyone, I know at least one of Jimmy's kids goes to Ole Miss. I don't know if. I don't know if it's better. I, I, mean, I know one does. Yeah. Or one did. Or James does. definitely goes. I don't Parker, I think, went to Texas, but whatever. The point being, it's not like he sits there and thinks, how can I screw Ole Miss? Not even a little you know bit. What I mean? Like it's like you don't survive in that business like that. Like if, if there's a loyalty on his part that I've ever sensed. Yeah. I think it's he tries to steer I think he tried to steer Lane to Ole Miss. There's I, I completely agree. So I don't think that's what it is. And therefore, you know, I just go back to last year and we can even, you know, I'll, I'll even throw out this comparison. If your source on Hugh Freeze, as I've said for years now, your source on Hugh Freeze coaching carousel is Hugh Freeze. You need a second source. Yeah. I also think if your source on Lane Kiffin coaching rumors is Lane Kiffin, you need a second source. I think he likes it. I think he does it. I, I do too. And I don't know whether it's just because I don't know whether it's just because he likes the attention or if it's just because he thinks it's funny or if thinks, it or could be he, he's abiding the principle. There's no such thing as bad publicity. I don't know. Like, I don't know. But I and, think and as long as you win, you're right. Yeah. As we come full circle here, if he wins on Thursday night, his name can pop up and pop up and pop up. And all anybody's going to do is, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, give him all the money. But if he loses Thursday night and then his name pops up, there's going to be a little different tone. I'm telling I mean, we, Thursday we night saw is it in the opposite. Center. Listen, we saw it in the opposite direction. Um, that football team in 2014 thought Hugh Freeze was going to Florida. I know they were. I have friends on that team. C.J. Johnson held a team meeting in which the, pardon my French, the point of that meeting was, fuck him, we're playing for us. Yeah. Now, every, instead of someone using some common sense going, hey, those guys kind of played for themselves. Like, we are in a good spot here. Florida's going to have to pay us. Let's just keep going. Everyone in that room got emotional and said, we got to keep him. And from that day forward, Ole Miss was screwed. Well, you know what? I, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this another time. But that that was an interesting deal because I think Hugh is the one that got emotional. Because I'll never forget the night before that game, 
I said to some somebody at Ole Miss, I'm like, are you are you guys hearing this? Are you going to let this happen or whatever? And and the answer was, look, there are other coaches. We'll find another coach. And then that next day, they they win the game, and um, he gets emotional leaving the field and all that stuff. And I honestly think it was him who changed everything. Well, I think there's an element of that, but I also think that at that point they didn't. Because I remember that whole thing. We were in Arkansas, and you were working on – you'd gotten the number. You'd gotten the, the amount of money. And you're like – it shows you how insane it is. I think at the time it was like Ole Miss can get to like 4-2 or like 4-2-5, um, which would be a great defense, by the way. And, you know, all of a sudden on Saturday they got to 5 or whatever it was. You know, they, they found the money, and that's my point. Like, I got it. I definitely think Hugh got emotional and you know, I'm going to be, you know, be buried in Mississippi or whatever, all that, all the crap that he said. It, the, the, the bigger issue is that Ole Miss made the decision at that point to keep him. Yeah. And from that point forward, he had all the leverage. The reason why that stadium is rushed, that end zone, is that was included in that. And it, they didn't have the money to do it the way they wanted to do it. So it got rushed because that's what he wanted. Like all these things that were not well planned and things that are kind of people were, you know, going, they did a crappy job on that. That's because Hugh Freeze at that point rushed everything and it wasn't ready. It's why I'm interested to see what happens one way or the other. If Ole Miss is really prepared to go to some of the numbers that are rumored six and a half, seven million a year, that's you're getting up into high upper echelon of at least with the current market, maybe the market resets, but you're, you're, you're getting pretty high up there to a place where, okay, well, you can demand that level of result, and and I don't or know commitment. Yeah, yeah. If I'm paying you seven million, I don't care if you believe it. Go out and tell them what they want to hear. I know. Go I know. Do what Juno just That's did. Why I'm fascinated to watch Thursday night, Jeffrey. I really am. If Lane Kiffin could win this game, Miami could announce Thursday. Hey, Manny Diaz has a contract extension. And Florida could announce an agreement with Billy Napier. And LSU could announce, hey, we're hiring anybody but him. And if he wins that game and has in his press conference goes, I just want everybody to know I'm not leaving. I love Ole Miss. I'm I know I'm I'm a little different sometimes or whatever, but but I'm not I'm not going anywhere. We're gonna win this thing. We're about to hit the road recruiting effective Sunday. We're hitting the road Sunday afternoon recruiting. We're we're about to get after this. They, the, the reaction would be, hey, Keith, give him all the money. Oh, my God. No, but, the but reaction. If, but if he, loses, if he loses and he just does the whole, uh, I, I, it, it could go a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me to watch. It's, it's what I always, the one thing you get with college sports is you always get drama because there's so much emotion in it. And yeah. I think Thursday night, has that capability. Like if you told me our post-game show is just euphoric with people and I get it. And if you told me it is apocalyptic, I get it. Well, I mean, I think the reason why we saw the reaction we did after the AM game is that would have been euphoric had Mississippi state got, you know, whatever. If Auburn held on or whatever, Bo doesn't break his ankle. Although I don't know if that really mattered or not. Sure. But if, if, if that game would have, stayed on like a 28 to three game. Yeah. I think it would have been that instead, every single person turned their mind to because 
you know, sometimes Ole Miss fans are just happy when they're bitching. It was they immediately turned their mind to, we're going to go to Starkville at 9-2 and two and they're going to ruin everything. It could happen. We'll uh, talk to you about it on Thursday night after it's over, one way or the other. Uh, happy Thanksgiving to you, Aaliyah, Big Jeff, everybody. Big, it's game week for Carly. I know. Is Carly get, she's fired up? Is she ready? Again, we've been been doing some training exercises. Uh, Coach is a little different animal than Rebel, um, but she knows. She got she went to the spa last week. She's ready. Got a fresh bandana. She's ready to go. Awesome. She knows it's a big week. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy it. We'll talk to you Thursday night. All right. That was Jeffrey Wright. Always fun to visit with him. Appreciate him giving so much of his time over the course of this football season. We get to Ben Mintz of Barstool Sports in a minute. First, I do want to tell you <clears throat> that we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt, Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo, condos, land, commercial, residential, family homes, 662-567-2573-662-842-3844. Also brought to you by Service Specialist Offices in Ridgeland, Canton, Jackson, Oxford. Service Specialist has been connecting candidates and employers since 1967 as the oldest staffing company in Mississippi, whether you are looking for a job, whether you have a job and you're looking to relocate to Mississippi, whether you are a prospective employer who's looking for strong candidates, you can hire service specialists can take care of you. If you're thinking about looking for a new job, relocating, whatever the case may be, like I said, or you just have confidentiality concerns, call service specialists, no referral fees for those searching for a job. You have nothing to lose, so call Service Specialist at 662-832-5138 or go to servicespecialistltd.com. Alpha Specialties is located at 1670 Highway 80 in Pearl, Mississippi. It's your trailer-specific professional. If you want to haul it, they can call it at Alpha, the premium trailer dealership in Mississippi. Load Trail, Hallmark Cargo Trailers, Spare Tires and Wheels, Full Selection of Trailer Parts and Accessories, uh, all types of trailer uh, repair as well. All of that at Alpha 601-932-9798 or alphaofms.com. And we're brought to you by The Rogue. Check out their collegiate collection. If you're doing some Christmas shopping later this week, check The Rogue out. Therogue.com, 4450 I-55 North in Jackson. Check out their collegiate collection for the Ole Miss fan in your life. Maybe it's Mississippi State, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, whatever the case may be. They've got a lot of it there. At The Rogue, also all the best items from Peter Millar, Martin Dingman, Jack Victor, and more there at The Rogue. And we're brought to you by Joey Erickson, Heron Gear Chevrolet. Choose from a full selection of new Chevy, BMW, Lexus, and Infiniti, or get a great deal on numerous brands of reliable pre-owned vehicles, 662-571-2367 or 1685 High Street in Jackson. Each week we have talked to Ben Mintz of Barstool Sports, but the college weekend ahead, the NFL weekend ahead, we did that again today, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Here is Ben Mintz. Our buddy Ben Mintz, Barstool Sports, kind enough to join us. Uh, one more regular season preview show as we get ready for the Egg Bowl, Ole Miss, Mississippi State in Starkville. I'm going to uh, to guess, Ben, that this is a – a kind of an emotional game for you, not only because of your Ole Miss ties, but you got to deal with Brandon Walker all the time. Well, this is the, why I got hired. 
I mean, you want to be just truthful. I mean, like I got hired at Barstool because Walker was go like as his profile rose, he was going so hard at Ole Miss all the time, morally bankrupt and everything, and there was no one to defend us. And I, that was literally the premise on what I got hired. Like Dave saw me going nuts in a video after we beat Kentucky. He's like, I'm going to bring this loud, annoying Ole Miss fan in to mess with Brandon Walker. And that is the story of me. You know, they did some research and saw I had sports radio and all that stuff. But that's the premise on which I got hired. So, yeah, the Egg Bowl is the freaking Super Bowl for me. We do the egg bet. Like last year, I got to throw all the eggs at Walker, and then I crushed the one over his head at any time this year. The egg bet, we ran it back this year. Uh, I got some stuff. If Ole Miss wins, I've got some some merchandise in the works that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, Yeah, this is like literally my Super Bowl. So, I mean, my Thanksgiving, you know, I'm up here in New York where it's so weird because it seems like I know a million people because I'm on this big platform, but I have like three close real friends. But, you know, I know all these people. So I'm going to have my like alone Thanksgiving and watch football over at the gambling house. And then me and Walker and Casey Smith, the Southerners, uh, are going to do a live stream for the Egg Bowl. You know, the Southerners are like the, the strangers in a strange land. You know, I don't know. It's crazy. What do you think of the game? I know the line's like one point or whatever. And what do you think? I love, you know, you've heard me all year. I've been on the state thing all year. Them. I've gotten right all year. But I saw the opening line was Ole Miss by two Sunday. And then I saw it state by one on Monday. And it shouldn't really matter in theory. Like if you're like a casual fan, you're like, whatever, Ole Miss by two, state by one. But it's like a middle thing. And I love that we're the underdog. I freaking can't love it more. And also, I think that, look, that Vandy game was such an obvious – we were ne- – even though Ole Miss won 31-17, there was – you never thought we weren't going to win the game, ever. And it was a spot after seven weeks in a row that a lethargic, let's get out of here effort was coming. And we were favored by 36. Like, yeah, if we would have won 63-10, to 10, I bet we would be favored by three and start, boy. You know, and I think people are – like the common people are putting way too much into a game, you know, it's not meaningless. It's an SEC game, but that was so obviously after the seven tough weeks in a row, we have a short week before state. This, this is like, let's just get this thing over with. And you jump on them early. And, and when you jump on them early, it's just human nature. You go, okay, we're going to kill them. And then, you know, it's, I've made this analogy before. I, I, I used to have an edger, you know, like a weed eater, an edger, and it would start. But if you ever turned it off, even for just a second to change the wire or something, the damn thing would not restart. And for whatever reason, and I think sometimes football teams are that way, you know, when you're a heavy favorite, you can get started. But the moment that you hit the stop button, no matter whether you go back to start it instant later, it won't start. And you, you fight it the rest of the day. Like it'll start and stop, start and stop. And I swear, I think Ole Miss was kind of my old, uh, weed eater last week once they turned it off it was very hard to get it going again well yeah we kind of saw that in the liberty second half too uh you know once you get a lead early and then look you can't you know we're talking about 18 to 23 year old kids who just had college game day on their campus beat texas a&m and then five days after this game is playing their arch rival on the road on thanksgiving night i mean i can see how mentally that wouldn't be the easiest game to get up for when you're between those two things absolutely I'm not worried about it. And the thing that I'm so excited about going in as an Ole Miss fan this week, I know Mingo played last week, but 
finally everybody's healthy at receiver, or at least healthy enough. You know, they're playing banged up, but they're out there. And I think everybody, like, the national view is like, oh, Ole Miss has this hyped-up, high-powered offense. Well, they hadn't scored more than 31 points the last five, six games. I think we're ready to re-break out here. Like, I, I, maybe I'm reading more into how healthy they are, uh, but I think Ole Miss's offense could, could really go off in this game. I think people are sleeping on it a little bit right now. So you like the Rebels plus the one? I mean, it's hard to love it because, like, if you're a gamble, you know how tough this game is on the road with the cowbells and the hatred. And you can't – I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, like, not give State credit for having a great home field and how fired up they're going to be. And they've improved a ton, you know, through the year. Now, the thing to watch in this game for me is State has habitually – gotten down big early and had to fight back this year. You look at the yep. Arkansas game, the Auburn game, the Louisiana Tech game, seems like Will Rogers and this offense take a quarter, a quarter and a half to get in the game flow, and then they, you know, fought back a ton. And the, Ole Miss has had some really good first quarters. We jumped people pretty good. I, I would love to get up 14 nothing here, get the crowd on their, you know, silence to get them on their heels. And then, you know, when you look at how this Ole Miss defense is designed, I, it reminds me, you know, we're pretty fast. Secondary's good. The pasty's good. We had some trouble with the power, obviously Arkansas and Bama power running games. But, you know, I think our pasty's pretty dang good. I mean, I, I, I definitely think Rodgers and State in the second half will get theirs. You've kind of seen in our games, like our defense will shut people down first half and then sometimes second half they'll score more. But – you know, I think we match up fairly fairly good against them. So, I, I'm optimistic. I mean, if I bet, I'll take us small, but still on the road and start more. You know, I'm not going to – I'm definitely not putting my life savings on this one. It's going to be tough. Yeah, it is. Uh, looking around the country a little bit, are there some games that stick out from a from a betting perspective? Are there any, any things you're looking at? A couple of these games are interesting to me. Like Bedlam has oh, so yeah. much – Bedlam has so much riding on it perhaps around the country because of if Oklahoma wins, Lincoln Riley has another week. If Oklahoma doesn't win, Lincoln Riley's kind of on the clock, perhaps pretty quickly at, at LSU or elsewhere. Uh, maybe. I, you know, who this LSU thing, we'll get to it in a minute. This LSU thing's wild. But uh, the Bedlam's fascinating. Ohio State, Michigan, gamble-wise, I thought Vegas made a huge statement when they put it out at seven and a half and then it went to eight. Because I feel like they must love Ohio State to make it over seven on the road. I do. Love it. Well, I mean, they always kill Michigan. They beat the hell out of them. Literally, the last time they lost was 2011. They always murder them. And so, you know, you look at Ohio State's speed and athleticism, especially the wide receiver position, it seems like they bust a lot of big plays uh, in the second half of a lot of these games. But, I, I mean, I, it's weird to lay a road favorite in a road game like that in a rivalry game, but it, it seems like Vegas likes that. Bedlam's fascinating because Oklahoma State hadn't – you know, they're never really the favorite in this game, and they're laying four. Um, and then when did Oklahoma State's defense become the 85 Bears? You know, that's the weirdest thing. You think of these Gundy teams, they've always scored a million points and never stopped anybody. Nobody can move the ball in the Big 12. I mean, they shut out Texas Tech last week. They Their offense isn't even that good this year. And Oklahoma's offense, for all of the hype and stuff, it's just kind of there. I mean, oh, Dave Aranda owned them in that Baylor-Oklahoma Oh, no, he dominated them. I mean, he made himself some serious money in that one. You know, Aranda, Aranda's a really interesting guy, isn't he? Because he has this reputation of being kind of boring or whatever, yet he, he, he's, he's doing so well at, at uh, Baylor. He's got a good staff. 
I keep thinking someone's going to try to grab him. I know that Baylor has a ton of money and they can pay whatever, but the Big 12 won't be the Big 12 anymore. And you hear the like USC with Aranda and you hear he's on LSU's list and he could, and I don't know where he ends up. It's a, it's a strange to me. He's one of a handful of wild cards. He's one of them. Matt Campbell at Iowa state's one of them. Um, I hear that Luke Fickle's not leaving. I hear Luke Fickle's going to, by God, stay at Cincinnati and coach in this playoff if they get there. So they're they're a team to watch. There's so much stuff happening from a coaching standpoint that yeah. it's like wild, you know? It's crazy that every year it's this time, like right when the rivalry games and conference title games are. It's just – and it's hard to analyze. Like behind the scenes, for example, Sonny Dykes getting the TCU job this week <laughs> – Wish I'd have known that. I'd heard rumors that, that was coming, but like, look what happened to SMU against Cincinnati last Saturday. You know that stuff. You can't think that's not a big favor, uh, factor. The random thing. Look, these LSU fans were so ungrateful to him when he was their defensive coordinator. I mean, he was. I thought he was awesome for miles. You know that national championship year, the first half of the year, they were allowing a lot of points, and then. I mean, four weeks in a row against. You know, he shut down Georgia and A and M and Oklahoma and Clemson. And they were like, oh, whatever, Aranda can leave. And then Bo Pelini came in there, and they went from top 10 or 20 to like 130th. And it's just so funny to me to see these fan, the LSU fan base, how like they were like had such a great thing in Aranda, and they were so ungrateful, and they would be lucky to get him back right now. I mean, he's such a great coach, and he, would, he knows that culture there. He'd restore that defensive identity with the speed of DBs. You know, he coached Devin White. I mean, he's coached – so many great linebackers. I mean, Bobby Wagner at Utah State played for for Dave Aranda even. You know, like he's been – all the Wisconsin guys, I don't know. I think he's the safest hire they could make. Right, but the be- thing is with him, Woodward, the AD, wasn't, you know, really, you know, part of getting him or all that. Let's play where the will stops for LSU. Tell me where you think ultimately it stops. Because I'll, I'll tell you where I think it starts and where, where it goes, and you tell me where, where it stops. Does Jimbo say yes? think so i mean i i, I, I get that him and woodward are really good friends and he has those ties and stuff but like i i, I just don't I, I just i don't see why he would i mean he's got he makes 10 million a year at AM. honestly i think the expectations are bigger at lsu than a&m too yeah. uh, and, okay so and if, like, it's not, if it's not jimbo is it lincoln riley does lincoln riley say yes does he i think lincoln riley I, I don't know i, I the way that my people down there have said they think it's a Randa or Napier lately. But, I mean – Well, there's a lot of that. So, here's the question with Billy Napier. Napier thing's out of hand. The Napier thing's too. crazy. And Napier's got a Sun Belt championship game to coach, right? I mean, he's, they're, they're going to be in that game. That buys him another week. Although, I think Florida's going to press for, hey, man, we need an answer. I think Florida's going to try to go get him. Napier might be the guy that – if. If you're right, and it's not Lincoln Riley and it's not Jimbo Fisher at LSU, Napier might be the guy that holds all the cards, which is ironic after all these years of him saying, no, I'm just going to stay at at ULL for another year. It's unbelievable to see it pay off for him like this because I thought he was out of his mind when he turned down Mississippi State, South Carolina, and then he turned out Auburn. He was going to take the Auburn job, and Auburn has all that weird booster stuff, and they, like, told him who his assistants had to be, and he told them to, to to go to hell is what happened with that job. And now he's been – I mean, Florida, obviously the old Miss part of that, you worry about Lane with Florida a little bit. But, I mean, everything I've heard has been the Napier. But, who? man, it's so hard to know. Jimmy Sexton controls this whole thing like a puppet. He, he literally he, just he, runs he, it all. 
He does, but he can't talk Scott Strickland into making a hire. He no, can't. he can't, but he just he floats the names and all the rumors we're hearing. Yeah, you know, as it pertains to Lane, I don't think it's Jimmy that's floating Lane's name. I think it's Lane yeah. floating Lane's name. Yeah, no, I think I Lane, do. I think it's very obvious the Lane thing. He does like Ole Miss, but he's, you know, if he gets a big time, you know, he's at Ole Miss until he gets one of the top. I would think 10 to 15 jobs, maybe eight to 10. At the risk of pissing a bunch of people off, here's what I'm going to say about it. Oh, no, yeah, be honest. I'm okay. be honest. If Lane could get LSU, he would take it. Period. Oh, I, I mean, emphatically. I, I think he would take it on the spot. Absolutely. I don't think it's even. Lane wants the Florida job. He can't get it right now. He's, Scott Strickland's not hiring Lane Kiffin right now. Could, could I'm, that, hearing, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing exactly that. Too. Could that change in a week? I, I guess it's conceivable that, you know, names fall off. I mean, here, here would be the LSU scenario. And this is, this is a, a far-fetched scenario, frankly. If you're an Ole Miss fan worrying about it, you're, you, you need to stop. It's Jimbo says no. Lincoln Riley says no. Billy Napier goes to Florida. Dave Aranda says, you didn't like me the last time. I'm not coming. Matt Campbell says no. At that point, if you're an Ole Miss fan, you probably need to start to worry. What I've heard about LSU and Woodward is that they're intrigued by Kiffin. That's not really the path they want to take. That's not really what they want to do. What I've heard consistently now, and I mean, I've heard from people who are absolutely dialed into Florida, is that Scott Strickland's not hiring Lane Kiffin. I mean, I've heard the same, it's same entire- thing. And I've, I've heard that, you know, like I said, Lane's interested in leaving for like a super big job, yeah. which Florida certainly counts as. But, you know, I think that, you know, we're looking at this, at least I am. I know you're a professional. I, I'm kind of a fanboy that is media, you know, so I kind of like walking the, the thinner line because I'm, I'm definitely like an Ole Miss homer, not as objective. But we all look at this as the prism as fans. And we see the lane exciting offense and the brand and everything. But these universities are looking at all kinds of other stuff, you know, this, and then LSU especially, look how much trouble they're already in. I mean, they got to have someone that runs in there and cleans it up. They got Title IX stuff. That Darius Guy stuff is horrible. It's unspeakable. They've got, you know, big stuff running through. Even Will Wade in basketball, you know, they've got to really be – you know, I don't know. I think Lane might be too hot for them to touch. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I could see it getting there, but it's really hard to see it getting there, especially if they're offering the kind of money that they're talking about. It's difficult for me to imagine that Dave Aranda would put his feelings in front of that many millions of dollars. I, I, I it, it's, it's difficult for me to imagine that. Unless yeah, yeah. They, so I unless know Aranda – Unless he went to USC or something, at which well, point- so he's from. I didn't know he was from Southern California. Yeah, I had no idea of that because I, I knew he coached at Utah State and Wisconsin and then LSU. So I knew his coaching path. But when they said he was from Southern California, I was like, really? Like I didn't even know that. But that makes him in play for USC. For sure. For um, sure. With, with this ties there, the LSU thing. Like, I mean, I heard behind the scenes his feelings were hurt the way it went down with O O and them. I did too. And, and but you know also so, and then O went on his knees to render. So Durante Jones, their defensive coordinator, was uh, like the Wisconsin maybe secondary coach when Miranda was the DC, and that hire came from Miranda's recommendation. He was like their eleventh choice, but you know that. So Durant, you know, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. It, it, it's crazy how it all went down. But I think the world of Dave Miranda. I think very very highly of him, and I think he would 
you know, restore the LSU defense. He'd smart enough to hire a good offensive assistant. He'd give them their identity back with that that fast speed defense. And I, I, I you know, I think he'd be really, really consistent too. So but, I don't but, think they'd be out hard. The one I'm watching this weekend is just because it's out there, and I think you have to watch it. And I'm told by people who are around it, I need to watch it. Is is Miami? I want to see what Miami does with with Manny Diaz. Two weeks ago, I was told he's gone. Uh, earlier this week, there were reports, including in the Rivals Network from Gary Furman, who uh, covers has covered Miami for forever, that uh, things were moving in the direction of Manny Diaz getting more time. I talked to someone this afternoon who's pretty tied in nationally who said, no, I still think he's in some trouble. That's a decision they have to make. Um you know, would Lane Kiffin go to Miami? I don't know. Is Lane Kiffin- I think he might. I think he might because of his time. Like, when you look at it, like, he just lived in Boca for Florida Atlantic. And the thing is, is like, if you're a coach, the the thing is, is Miami, like, Ole Miss can offer freaking – we're about to give him some serious, serious cheese. Can Miami match that? You know, that's my question. Because the, the, they, they don't even have to match it. Do they just have to get close? You know, that, that may be true. And, and no one knows. I mean, here's the thing is that, you know, not many people talk to Lane. And, you know, I, I've talked to people who I think have, have, have had some contact with Lane. And, uh, you know, I think Lane would, believe it or not, I think before he would jump at a Miami job or jump to sign an extension at Ole Miss, I think he wants to see the way LSU plays out. For two reasons. One, because LSU might reset the whole market. And then two, it might come down to him taking, you know, might might get to him. He might gain steam over the week. It's so, you know, and he's got a big week ahead of him because he's this this game Thursday is big for him. It's oh a, huge. It's a four hundred thousand dollar game for Lane Kiffin. It's a four hundred thousand dollar game for Lane Kiffin. Because if he beats Mississippi State, he gets hundred and fifty thousand dollars for winning the game because it's another SEC win on over four, and he gets – Ole Miss would be assured of playing in a New Year's Six game, one of the Access Bowls, which is a quarter of a million-dollar uh, bump for him. What, so a, sweat, what a sweat. Man. So that's a $400,000 you know, game for him. And then also, if he beats Mississippi State, he's 10-2. and two. Ole Miss will probably wake up on Monday morning sixth in the country, is my guess, in the polls. And, um, you know, I mean, maybe that raises his, his uh, profile. If you're Scott Woodward and you start getting turned down, maybe you look at it and you go, damn, you know, he is. I don't know. So it's a really big spot. And Oh, man. And at the same time, you know, at the same time, Ben, and you're an Ole Miss guy, so you can speak to this in a way that I can't. Um, You know, I I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't even view it through that prism. Um, But you can. If Blaine Kiffin does that, let's say he wins the game on Thursday and he has this capital that's built up, how long can he go without almost, for lack of a better word, sort of professing his love and saying, hey, I'm here. I'm going to sign this extension. Let's, we're going to get, we're getting after it. We're about to hit the trail. We're about to, you know, because the recruiting period opens up on Sunday again. I mean, you know, there's everything gets moving and it can become a really awkward week, even for a coach that's kicking ass on the field. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, what I always say, coming back to this, I try to look at the glasses half full, man. These are just first world. I mean, this is the most first world stuff ever. Ole Miss 9-2. and two, First yeah. undefeated home season since 1992. 29 years since they went undefeated at the Vaughn. You know, and so as an Ole Miss fan, I always, you know, try to look at the good. I mean, you know, you had to, you had to make your living 2017 through 2019 during that fan appetite. I really you know. <laughs> 
Yeah. So I try to look at it as like, let's just enjoy this. And this is the problems you have to deal with if you have success. Sure. You know? sure. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I know that that might be like a little of, of a, a weird way of looking at it, but I, I just think these are first world problems. And if we would, man, if, Gosh, this this egg bowl, man. It's just so much fun to see this much on the line. What Lane and Leach have done for the state of Mississippi. And man, Brandon Walker, I want to mention Walker is giving out status. It's a lot. I mean, he is super confident and swaggy. He's, I mean, he is like all week, he's pounding his chest. He's not concerned. You know, he's yeah. <laughs> gotta be an act. Um, all right. <laughs> this has got to be an act. I don't know how anybody could look at this game and go, that's my lock. Well, what's funny is like him and Dave are going at it right now. And so Dave and Big Cat and all the powers of be at Barstool are behind Ole Miss and supporting Ole Miss in this game. And I left like I left a little Lane Kiffin bobblehead that's currently sitting on Dave's desk. Where where, you know, I, I love seeing the support from Dave for, for the Rebs here. I get asked this every week. I'm like, hey, make sure that you ask uh, Mints for any NFL plays. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Any NFL uh picks that stick out in your mind, anything you like? There's some interesting ones. There's some great games this week. First of all, Thanksgiving, all six teams playing lost on Sunday. (laughs) Bears, Lions, Cowboys, this this Saints thing's like breaking my heart. I mean, it's just – I mean, how do you win when your two pro ball tackles, your quarterback, your top running back, your top receiver all – I mean, it's just a body count out there. It's like no matter who's your coach, you can only lose so many people. The Titans thing is the one I want to address. They are, you know, they had the home loss to Houston. They're catching six and a half at New England this week. Tennessee's like a ferocious underdog. I mean, you look at them, they, you know, they they upset the Chiefs, the Bills, the Rams, but then you see them lose to the Jets and Texans. They're one of those teams that just like, like kind of like Mississippi State struggles as a favorite, great underdog. So I'm kind of looking at them catching six and a half, especially if it goes to seven. The line in Rams Packers is really interesting. The Rams lost two in a row and then had a bye, and they're only getting one at Lambeau Field when you think it would be three. Green Bay at home with Rodgers. So that one lo- it just kind of looks weird to me. You know, I thought that Green Bay would be a full three. Um, I'm, I'm scrolling through them. The other. Shout out Elijah Moore. He's breaking out huge. Huge. Absolutely. Yeah, 8-141. You know, I'm not – I don't know that it will go to the level A.J. Brown went at his rookie year, but remember A.J. led the NFL in receiving his final six weeks. A lot of times the rookies, we're fans. We overanalyze the first four or five weeks. It's a different world, a different game. And, you know, look at the musical chair at the quarterback thing he's had to deal with. They've had four guys out there. So, I mean, it's incredible what he's doing. Uh, I kind of like the if the Steelers don't get TJ Watt back because they they were so beat up on Sunday. I like the Bengals if they don't get their guys back. And I'm actually looking at the. I think the Colts are good. I really do. They started one and four, but you know you look at what Taylor's doing. They got a great O line. Wentz is getting comfortable. They got a good defense. Frank Wright's a good coach. I actually think that they they're two and a half point home underdog against the Bucks. I actually like the Colts to win that game. So that's kind of a few of the ones uh, I'm looking at. Right. We started with Ole Miss. We'll finish with Ole Miss. I know that uh, you, you you got a FaceTime from former Ole Miss quarterback. Did you take that as an omen? Man, I'll be honest. Like like I said, I, I, I mean, ever since I got this Barstool job, I've loved coming on here with you, and I just tell it like it is. I try to. I mean, I try to just be like, here's what's really going on. So I got back from the A&M weekend, and I had those crazy five weeks in a row where I did LSU game, A&M game, New Orleans Halloween, World Series. And, like, I was, like, in a funk for, like, 
eight days where I just like re-entering. I mean, I love working at Barstool, but like it's cold weather. I don't know what it is. Just my energy wasn't right. And the second I looked down at my phone last night, I have a random area code that's like a FaceTime. And I randomly was like, screw it. I'm going to pick this up. I don't know why. It's like 11 p.m. And I see Chad Kelly be like, Mitzi, what's up? I mean, like my mood and energy went from like down to like, I'm ready to run through a wall off that like one moment. Like I'm like, the it just was unreal. Chad Kelly's like on there, hit me up. Like send, I mean, he's talking about, he's like, Casey's going to catch a touchdown. You know, he's like feeling really good about it. He was asking if I was going, um, but I just like him. I mean, I fanboyed out. I still am fanboyed out about it. I mean, dude, Chad Kelly's like the oldest bad boy. And he, I don't know. It just was such a cool thing. I was back in Ole Miss when, you know, we beat Bama with him. And, I mean, Corral, Kelly's toughness was legendary, and Corral's like that, too. He had tough, yeah. two of the toughest dudes I've ever seen. Absolutely. And he was talking about how much he loved Matt, and I was, like, asking about a person. He's like, he's an awesome person. He's, like, a phenomenal leader, you know. just the way, I mean, it was, it was, it was surreal. Uh, but I, we're going to hang out at the bowl game together for sure. Speaking of the bowl game, we'll get you back on before that. We'll do a, a pregame for whatever bowl that is, whether it's the sugar or the fiesta or the peach or the citrus or whatever the case may be. I want to tell you how much uh, we have appreciated you doing this all season, 12 weeks in a row when you've been in Vegas or in New York or God only knows where all you've been at different times and you've taken time out of your schedule to, to do this. And I know the people that watch this show have uh, certainly appreciated hearing from you every week. I've heard Tons of feedback about it. So I wanted to make sure that I told you. Oh, man, I, look, I appreciate it. Uh, I love what you're doing. Uh, I mean, I, and I'm a fan of I'm a fan of y'all's product. I'm a fan of Chase as well. And uh, I think it's been awesome for me to get to reach so many of the old, the old Miss fans because I still go on Louisiana radio a lot for my ties down there. But this has been by far the best way for me to connect uh, with Ole Miss fans on a weekly basis. So I'm very appreciative. It, go, it goes both ways for sure. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you. Uh, good luck with your show on Thursday night. Uh, hopefully yep. you're the one throwing eggs and not catching eggs. And uh, we will. We'll oh, man. Yeah, this this Thanksgiving, it's just funny how much this one means. But live stream with Walker, Casey Smith, and me. And oh, we'll see. Let's let's get this win. Hell yeah, damn right. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Yep. That was Ben Mintz. I uh, appreciate him all year. It's hard to believe this is the uh, 12th of 12 uh, regular season MPW digital pregame shows now in the books. It was one of those concepts we talked about in the summer about how do we how do we cover this? And then when the SEC came out and said everything on the road was going to be Zoom, I was like, you know, we ought to do shows. And I had the idea to do a pregame show, trying to build our uh, video presence. And um, it worked to a degree. Sometimes it worked better than we thought it would. Sometimes not as well as I, I hoped it would, but... Uh, it's a new thing, and sometimes you have to establish new things over the course of time. The uh, post-game show presented by Walk-Ons will be with you on Thursday night. Uh, we'll be with you as soon as the game's over, and we'll um, take your calls. We'll talk to Jeffrey Wright. We'll talk to Brian Rippey. Like I said, take your calls on the Rafters Music of Food hotline and uh, wrap up a regular season that uh, is one that we'll be talking about for a long time as uh, Ole Miss goes for a 10-win season and a um, New Year's Six bowl bid at Mississippi State. From the sounds of it, a New Year's Six bowl bid is just about wrapped up no matter what. But a win obviously takes away any suspense and, and lets you rest easy knowing that that is in the books at uh, at 10-2. and two. So, again, um, 
Man, I can't say it enough. I'll probably write about it at the end of the season a little bit, end of the year. Big thanks to Pete DeWeese, Ryan Brown, Jeffrey Wright, Ben Mintz. There were others from time to time, but those four guys every single week gave of their time. They got a cap or something out of it. I mean, it's really remarkable. So uh, reach out to them on social media, if you would. Let them know how much we appreciate it, how much you appreciate it. Uh, for them making this show a possibility over the course of the 2021 football season. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. This is going to be the Wednesday Oxford Exxon podcast, a good three and a half hours worth of Oxford Exxon podcast. And then, like I said, we'll be back with you on Thursday night after Ole Miss and Mississippi State in Starkville. Happy Thanksgiving. If you're traveling, travel safe. And uh, we look forward to talking to you on Thursday night and beyond. I'm Neil McCready. Take care. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.